Um, we have a couple of different ways and, and things to talk about tonight. Um, up on screen right now is a um, main campus master plan. It's an initial report um, published um, several days ago. Um, and I think the board has had access to this and the, the um, general public also has access to it. It's, it is an initial report. So it contains, um, if you will, kind of a broad brush look at the main campus piece of the, of the development. And um, we're going to walk you through a couple PowerPoints tonight in terms of the development of the, um, of the plan and then address the main campus. Um, kind of drilling deeper, Kyle Butterwick is responsible for much of the planning and, and um, background work with the city, county meetings and the department, stakeholder meetings, core meetings, um, and a whole plethora of other meetings um, over the past two years and worked on the plan based on that input to develop um, what, what I hope will be a, a good look for the board. And there are some goals and objectives that are associated with this. And as a, as a bottom line, we're really looking to see where our next steps are. So um, do I advance this? Yes. Okay. So uh, on the introduction, so I would, uh, this is where we're going to go for a while, in a relation of master planning documents, how they relate to each other. Um, this could be on your screen as well. Um, review progress to date, educational master plan update, where that is, what we're doing. Facilities master plan, main campus master plan, next steps. And then review the main campus master plan initial report. That's where Kyle's going to step forward and work us through what's been uh, labeled on your master plan as sub-areas. So we can talk about it as a board and as a group, um, have questions and answers and ideas about what you see, clarify about what you see in those areas, um, try to get those on paper so we can move forward. So this is a nice first step in, in this process. Review the proposed next steps and then get board direction and feedback on those next steps. So at the end of the, end of the night, we're really looking for, if you will, kind of metaphoric thumbs up from the board to you know, move forward along this path, make some course corrections or, or not. Um, so with that, let's dive into a little bit of this. For some of you, as I said earlier, you've been down the path of planning so much that this is kind of old school. Um, I think for a lot of folks, it, there are very new terms here. Um, but let's go over this. This is um, does not all-inclusive of all the master planning that would happen, certainly, uh, across the institution. But these, I wanted to show the interrelationship of these three in relation to the campus master plan. So the educational master plan, as you know, it was finished in 2013. Um, it, it, its name is uh, 2013 to 2023. Um, we're going to work and are working on, an, on a um, master plan update um, now, and we expect that to be completed in the next few months. Um, I'll go over a little bit more of that as we um, progress. Target completion is really October for that. Um, if we look at the facilities master plan, which is um, the existing facilities master plan was conducted early, I think the first one, Carolee, was in 2002. And it went through several volumes, all the way through volume one, two, three, and four, to really address the bond measure in and the updates as we were going along. Um, volume four update 
was the last version i think this board has seen and it was prior to the last bond measure um, measure e it was the document the usage document um, that was not a, not adopted by the board but was the drafting the draft work document um, i think we're all agreed and certainly the community stakeholders um, the people we've talked about, city, county, community members, all feel that we need to work and complete a new facilities master plan that adequately reflects where we are now at this point in time, how we're going to move forward, that, that and would be informed on the existing facilities master plan, which is volume four. But this is the new one. So when it says volume five up there, that's a new volume that will emerge out of this planning activities. We're really looking for the last part of spring. The, the target there of completion of March is to try to get it, and it may not be in final form, but as close as we can, we're trying to get it accomplished so faculty and staff really have a good look at this. If we can bring it in in March, that would give us April and May to have a lot of conversations about um, updates, about you know issues, about what it might be. So... Um, Again, we'll unpack that. That is a joint effort facilities master plan, as is the educational master plan. The district development plan is a broader umbrella um, that really anticipates all of the assets and all the properties that the district owns. And, and you have seen these uh, before in different planning um, documents and also in different um, PowerPoint presentations. Almost a year from today, a year ago, we had a workshop uh, in the summer. And it really presented the district development um, plan that talked about all the the properties. So we have this property. We have Upper Valley Campus. We have American Canyon Center, which is not a center. I guess it's called a site. Um, we have the Menlo, which was the um, community ed center, and the what formerly Bumpy Camp, which is now the Mount Veter Farm, and the Clyde Dale Peters Preserve? Dale. Dale Peters Clyde Preserve, which is also right next to Mount Veter property. Um, that one has a lot more restrictions on it for probably more scientific, experiential kind of pieces. Um, it's pretty undisturbable, if you can use that, that term, uh, as opposed to the Mount Veter property, which is more um, programmatically oriented for us. So those are all in the district master plan that, that will emerge. Volume one of the district master plan is the main campus master plan, what you're seeing tonight. And so the other volumes that we address in there, volume two, will probably be the Upper Valley campus, volume three, Mount Veter, volume four, the other remaining properties as we go along. Those will um, unfold as we go along. It's a different kind of nomenclature that, that um, many other schools use and colleges use. Um, including some of the local K-12s, um, and it's been w widely recommended by the community. Um, the city, county of Napa recognizes this kind of nomenclature. They, li they like the planning aspects of it, and I think it will serve us pretty well. So questions on those kinds of pieces? Yes, ma'am. You should probably turn on your mic, Marianne, for, um, just because of the, the radio. I mean... The web, broadcasting, streaming, there we go. 
Sorry, Jeff. Trying to understand the volumes in our workshop that we had last year yeah. about the facilities master plan that was pretty extensive. Um, is so what we do from this point forward is it? It's not a scrapping of what we've done, but it's a build on. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah, because we're we're really sitting right now in part of the first four volumes of the facilities master plan. This was this building was conceived and and drawn and discussed in the first four and built with the funds through the um, first bond. And, and our goal now is to say, okay, here we are. Now what? Where do we go? Recognizing in the new facilities master plan, my guess is there will be new buildings in there, um, but there's going to be a lot of renovation, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of classroom improvement. And those pieces will emerge from deeper conversations ac across the campus and also a bit in the community, but really deep conversations about what we need, where we're going, exactly. If it leads to other resources that we might need for that, which would include a bond measure conversation, um, that will come up um, soon. And there's a little bit of that conversation tonight, probably. Oh, sorry, what were the four volumes? So the main campus, and then what else? Oh, you know what? They have not been yet named, so I just uh, um, I was giving those as examples. But the next volume that we believe we're going to work on, volume two, would be the Upper Valley Campus plan. And then, and then it becomes really, um, Amy, a, a, a priority of what the board and we all feel is the next, the next thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, so my question, yeah. I just need some clarity. Um, so when we talked last year in the mm -hmm. workshop, the facilities master, Plan and we talked about things like student center and veteran center and all of those things. Are those designs that we're still going to work from, or um, how does all of yeah. what we talked about fit into where we're going? Yeah, the that volume four um, and the update from volume four, which identified. Mostly, that was what was left over that was not uh, completed in the last bond measure. These are things that they anticipated in 2002 and three that we would need. Um, we worked last year from that template. Um, I think that we'll use those to inf inform. I think there's a real strong need, just qualitatively, I would say, and you know, no data yet for a student union or student center here, and I think that will probably emerge whether or not all of those other buildings that were anticipated from the last bond will, it will be a good conversation with stakeholders. And that, that's coming along. So, Other questions? Yeah? All right. Thanks for that. That's good. So that, that's the general direction. Here is, you know, from um, Caroline, I worked on this. This is very difficult to, uh, to read, but basically... You know, from a, from a thematic side, you don't have to really land on these bullets or even really get them because you can read them at your leisure later, you know, and publish them. But you're really looking at a timeline with call-outs. And if I put on my glasses, I'll be able to say a little bit. So we're not going to go over this too much. But that first circle on the left is really the kickoff and the community um, investigation in 2014. That was really that meeting that we had last year. And there are a whole series of things in that first group of smaller dots there that I alluded to 
those were there's been a whole series over the last year pretty intensely that Kyle has has worked with I have worked with the community's been involved with we've had faculty students and staff involved in these conversations a lot of workshops some forums etc meetings with um, foundations private foundations private groups um, like the vine trail or an example another one would be the wildlife rescue it's referenced a few times in here um, the Kennedy golf course people the the city of Napa, the county, on and on and on. Um, that that included a series in, in those meetings of meetings both um, at their formal presentations but also with their directors um, and their staff. Several of those happened here on, on site, um, and many of those things were conducted at the time in core meetings, um, which was a group that's alluded to in your um, plan which was the group that was responsible for much of the kind of um, ongoing planning in the last bond. The core group has not met over the last year because, frankly, there wasn't anything to really meet about um, as we kind of took a rest uh, and gathered our, gathered our stuff about us to kind of reinvigorate this whole process, and now we're, now we're um, kind of starting anew, if that works. Had we passed the bond, I think that the scenario would be different. We would have um, finished the update of the um, of what we would have promised the voters in, in the facilities master plan update and, and gone our way. So several things would have probably flexed, but we do have a nice opportunity now to kind of work this through. Um, that second bullet there, and I'm not going to go crazy here, but is um, now, right? That's where we are today, if I'm reading that correctly. Then we have a whole series of campus outreach, community outreach, um, talking with folks. That's, that's a whole process and um, several semesters, probably long. What you will see in the campus master plan outline is its flexibility. And uh, the, the main campus is a big place with a lot of undeveloped land that's going to take decades to build out. And so you, you, what we're trying to do is create a template for the board to say, in essence, you're, you're really establishing kind of a legacy document here to say, you know, we're setting the stage and the direction with some definitive short-term things that might happen in a year, two years, if, we, if you contemplate a bond and, and put that out on the, on the ballot and it passes, then this might happen, or... If we go into private partnerships, this might happen. So we're trying to clarify those things, and this kind of lays a little bit of that out. It finally culminates um, over here um, on the far side with summer of 16. We hope to have circulated most. So it's about a year from now, right? We will, we will have the EMP update in play. We hope to have the facilities master plan, the new, volume 5, done, finished, based on the information and work we're doing this year. And then we hope to start to move on some of the main campus master plan activities that are not bond-related, but that are site-specific related. And we'll, and we'll get into some of those sub-areas today. Okay? Questions on generally? It's a lot of information. But, you, and you can, again, I think you can go back to this kind of general timeline. And it is a general timeline. It's not specific with dates. This is a... Thought process, if you will. It's, all, it's flexible. Diana, do you have? You better use your mic, though, since we're, I'm sorry. Oh, I do. So 
Ron, I just want to make sure I understand. So in this fall, mm -hmm. a plan will be developed to develop for developing the district's properties. Okay. Yeah, what you're, you, what you're seeing today is the volume one of just what you described, which is the main campus plan for those developments. Right. Later on, and I'm hoping this semester too, we might be able to do volume two, which is the Upper Valley Campus. Mm -hmm. Your mic's not exactly on, right. Diane. Yeah. There you oh, go. Oh, I keep. Oh. There you go. I can work I, this. I think the plan will be. It will mature into like an implementation plan. Um, after gathering feedback from the community and the campus. So this is an initial plan. But are they all... Sequentially? Is that what are they asking? sequential? Are they simultaneous? Or are they sequentially all in fall? Some things are... And let me just... I'll, I'll go back a little bit. Let me or, go, let me go back. Um, the educational master plan update is happening now. And the district development plan volume one we're doing now is happening now. Right? We're... we're if you will, closing in on exactly what the board and stakeholders see for that bigger plan, which is the, the main campus. The, so the main campus, all of its property? Right. Okay. This 160 acres. Okay. Yeah. There is great interest and need, I think, from the district to really look at the Upper Valley campus next. I think it's, I think it's very important. We can't wait a year to start looking at that. So I think that will be a sequential piece. I mean, I'm sorry, a What's the word I'm looking for? Consec uh, simultaneous. Simultaneous, thank you. <laughs> Contemporaneous, I was thinking. Um, piece that will also be unfolding. Okay. All right? Thank you. Okay. Um, the, the document, I think, let me see if I can go to it here. And, I, and I, we, we talked about this a little bit and put it here just to look. Yeah, we're going to just say okay, right? Okay. The document is here, and you can see there's been... Um, a, a lot of conversation in the document. Um, every attempt has been made to kind of bleach out mistakes, but you'll, you'll find some probably illusions that aren't quite right. And I think the thing for you to look at, and, and as Kyle works through some of the sub areas, the what you're really looking at is the kind of the best thinking of all of the constituencies who have weighed in, which is a, a very significant group of folks. I'm sorry? Um, I think it, it's open. I think. I think I'm just not. Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. I'll get back. I'll get back to it. So I was just going to show you. Oh, it's on my screen, but it's not that screen. So I was looking at something else. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, can you do that? Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't know what Carly was asking. Um, so it, it, as you look at this, Recognize that the, the word crafting in it is not yet perfect. That's why it's an initial report. Um, and, um, you know, help us identify those areas. Also, what you'll see is, again, I think um, a whole group of people over a year and a half contemplating what the main campus plan should look like. And the, the sub-area schema, if you will, in there, made sense to a, a large group of people to say, talking about the entire main campus just as a big campus is, gets very confusing. Um, so let's separate it into areas and talk about those 
um, one at a time conceptually. Some of those pieces, some of those areas on this main campus, like where we are right now, are um, clearly use for the academic core. Some are a little in between, like Michael and I were talking about the, the, the vineyard over here, which is that actual identified lab, but, you know, space for, for classes, but also kind of open spaces, if you will. So there's a, there's a lot of conversation that I think will be really interesting for you. So if you have questions as we go along, I think that will be great. The document that Carolee opened that I will close probably pretty fast, but is the online version. For those of you who haven't seen it, it, it is online. Um, take a look. And it the schema for this thing, I want to get to the table of contents. It's got an intro, and it's got the master plan process, which dives into just what we went over a little in more depth. Um, it's got the general perspectives and objectives of the main campus master plan. So we're only talking about the main campus, 160 acres here. It's got design parameters, which um, when we met with the core group, also with the city and county, they were pretty insistent that um, they wanted to have at least an idea as we moved forward on the main campus plan, what we were talking about. It, it made them uh, more secure to be talking about a campus village, for example, that might will we'll impact a little bit, you know, housing for faculty, students, and staff. Um, they wanted to have a notion of, you know, what are you really talking about? And so our design parameters really lay out some very general background pieces, as you can, as you probably read. But it, it says to respect the architecture of what we've got already here, respect the neighborhood, so we wouldn't build a giant 5,000, you know, 50,000 square foot pagoda. I think it might be fun, and Gordon Huther might really love that, um, but um, because it would be interesting and very artsy. Um, but I, I'm not sure that it would fit the you know, the general tenor and tone of what we've got going on. You also might not like that. Um, the land use development plan is really the meat of the sub-areas, and uh, Kyle's going to be walking us through those um, in just a second. So with that, let me see whether I can. I'm going to close this current tab. Is that what I'm doing? Magic. There it is. Okay. <laughs> Good. And I'll, and I'll walk Kyle down to this other spot here. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll go with the student trustee first. How's that? Yeah. I, I had a question about the potential student involvement in yes. the um, report itself. Um, I'm looking here in Chapter 2 in the process. Uh-huh. Uh, chapter As to what ASMVC has right. in the stake of this, but is there... I'm thinking of bringing this back to ASNVC. Is there any way that the updated, not you know, not the initial report, but yeah. the actual report itself, starts to get some of the ideas back from that yeah. institution? Yeah, the answer is a, a huge yes. Okay. I, I, I think the students are going to be front and center on many of the of the input piece. You know, we'd like this. We'd like to see this. Um, certainly, in some of the areas of the campus, sub areas of the campus, they'll feel more strongly. I would think um, when you're talking about the academic core and maybe the student union, they really want to weigh in. They may not have as much energy on some other areas, but my guess is they care about all of it. Um, one of the contemplations that we have seen used at other institutions and it's been used in this state by many colleges is a I'll, – I'll use it this way and say it's an interactive website, a website that looks similar to the stuff you're seeing tonight that allows community, faculty, staff – 
to actually weigh in in a blog-like experience to say, you know, here's an idea. It's not a commentary where you could read online like the register or something, but it would be here is, here is air, sub-area three. Here is what we're contemplating for the student union. What things would you like to see in a perfect world in that? You know, that kind of thing. So it really, it, it really um, intensifies the kind of input you can get. It's been very well used at, at other schools, and I'm excited about doing that. It's very easy to do, and um, it gets to many of the trustees have talked about the whole transparency and connecting with the community. Um, I think it would be exactly that. So it's another way that students at large who are commuters primarily and who may not weigh in like we'd like them to weigh in also would have this great opportunity. So with that, I'm going to ask Kyle Butterwick to um, come up and provide an introduction of himself. Um, I, I think I've given, um, you know, kind of his background and how he's working. The, the, the plan, the schema right now is to – let me get to the next page here. Dr. Kraft? Yes. I, I think sorry. we still had another hand over here. Oh, I don't know. I'm sorry. Where was that hand? Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Wondering where the initial plan came from, like who developed this initial plan? This was developed through, if you go back to that timeline, oh. the, um, Kyle. Developed, Kyle was hired as a consultant to develop this plan. And so this plan is a culmination of all the documentation, all the meetings from all those previous pieces. So it, it comes from the notes and conversations and meetings and input from um, everything back from early core, and then research. And Kyle can certainly talk to a, a bit about this as well. Amy, yes, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, just talking about the development of the plan, to what extent was the original, I guess, 2013 educational plan a factor in influencing this plan? And then also, I know next you're in the process of updating that plan. How much will that be a part of influencing the, how this evolves? Yeah. Um, the, the educational master plan that we began, the, our current educational master plan, we're going to update now in 2015, it was, it was primarily finished in 2012, about this time of the year in 2012. We didn't want to um, put it into final form because we really wanted the faculty to come back and, and take a look and, and input, which they did. So we adopted it, I believe, in September, maybe even October of, 13, of, that, of that year. Um, so it went from 12 to 13 summer, I'm sorry, and then we adopted it in 13, so now we're working on the update. So um, we use that as a backdrop for all of our meetings. Um, we also use the facilities uh, master plan as an update, and you asked another piece of that. As you're updating the educational master plan, yes. that will continue to oh, influence absolutely. this plan. Yeah, and, and this is, if, if nothing else, and it's in the, in the beginning of this, this is a fluid and I would say dynamic document. I mean, you know, because what you're sitting here looking at now may not be possible in two decades from now. And this is, this is two decades out, um, you know, even farther than that, potentially. So, you know, our best planning. I know there's things that we should be doing, I think, at least, that we all agree on in one or two years. But the educational, this educational master plan update should inform that through the facilities master plan, which will be mostly about the academic core. Um, and as we move into the future, you know, um, there's a, there's a lot of if-thens kind of in this, but so it's a good question. Okay, with, with that, are you all, all good? Let me introduce Kyle Butterwick, who can take it from here. I was going to say that we're going to talk about each of these areas separately, 
Um, so you can ask Q&As on each area. So you don't have to just gang these up at the end of the, of the thing, and you can, um, I think, um, better be able to kind of work your way through. Okay, thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Kraft and uh, board members. Good late afternoon. I recognize uh, most of you. I had uh, an opportunity to speak before this board on several previous occasions, uh, progress reports, status reports, et cetera, on the campus master plan. Uh, and uh, it's uh, my pleasure to be back here. I uh, enjoy speaking about this plan. I'm, <clears throat> I believe it's a, a, a wonderful start uh, for the college. Uh, and I think it's uh, truly an essential exercise. I applaud uh, the board and the college generally uh, in bringing this into the forefront again at this point. I think the timing uh, is, is probably absolutely perfect uh, when you recognize the fact that sort of concurrent with this process, uh, the college is moving forward with the educational master plan update and the facilities master plan, both of which dovetail very nicely with this broader umbrella planning document of uh, the campus master plan. <clears throat> if you uh, enjoy reading the local newspapers, uh, as I do, especially on sort of planning development issues, uh, it's uh, very apparent that the, the development of a whole variety of master plans is, uh, has become a very high priority in Napa Valley. Uh, the city of Napa is actively involved in a number of uh, various master plans, neighborhood master plans, a master plan for the downtown area. Uh, the city of St. Helena is actively engaged uh, in uh, updating their general plan, and the, the county of Napa is in the process of revisiting their general plan. There's a very definite purpose uh, and reason for that, and uh, that is that the general viewpoint is that having these comprehensive plans offers uh, so many benefits uh, to the entity, whether it's a college campus uh, such as uh, the Napa Valley College um, or a municipality. Uh, it provides that important framework and broad overview for consistent decision-making uh, and also uh, you know, a long-term perspective. Uh, <clears throat> I'm hoping that... Um, as this process continue, continues to evolve, and uh, of course we're really in sort of very first uh, step and stage in this planning process, I frankly have had a lot of fun uh, being a participant in this and engaging all the various parties and stakeholders. Uh, and uh, I like to think that this will continue to be not only a challenging exercise, but one, but one that will be uh, truly fun because it's something that is a little bit out of the ordinary how often do we, uh, as, uh, as you, as decision makers, uh, have an opportunity to really look long range into um, the future? Most of what we do, uh, you know, we get sort of preoccupied by day-to-day -day operations. That seems to be the emphasis of what we do. And this is, a, to me, a refreshing and fun departure where we can now begin to use our imaginations and look long range in the future of what this campus really uh, can offer uh, both the student body here and, and in my viewpoint, equally important, uh, the community of Napa. I, I'm going to just uh, deviate quickly. I, I want to speak firsthand. I, I'm an urban planner by background. And my last opportunity to be involved in a master planning process was for 
the downtown area, the city of Dana Point in Orange County. And this downtown area was languished uh, with very little activity, development interests. Uh, the, the residents were very frustrated. They really didn't have a, a place to go, a sense of place uh, to represent their city. Uh, and that was due essentially to the lack of a comprehensive plan. So <clears throat> the city council in Dana Point decided to commit and uh, fund a comprehensive effort. It was uh, in-house done by staff. I was the director of planning and uh, development for Dana Point at the time. So we invested the resources and created this comprehensive plan. It was ultimately adopted uh, by the city council. And this was about uh, four or five years ago. And those of you who might follow some things in Orange County, uh, the downtown area in Dana Point has absolutely exploded. It's going through a major a renaissance right now with tremendous development act activity. And the residents of Dana Point um, are so appreciative and enthusiastic about uh, what has transpired here. <clears throat> I feel that the campus here of, uh, at the college is very analogous to a small village, small downtown area like Dana Point. And I can promise you that uh, when this process is said and done, you're going to have the same rewards and positive feedback, not only from your student body uh, and, uh, you know, your immediate stakeholders, but uh, the, the feedback and uh, reception from uh, the city of Napa, the county, and a larger scale, uh, I can tell you, is going to be very, very positive. Let me just comment on that. It has been already. I mean, uh, we are not known for discussing a facility with city and county over the years because we don't have to play by their rules technically. Yeah. And that, uh, that's been pretty insulting to both the city and the county. Your presence over the past uh, year and a half has made a big difference in uh, how we're being looked at in terms of of seeing ourselves as part of of the Napa community, and uh, and every aspect of the campus having some ownership by some part of of the community, so uh, that that has already started. And the fact that you can talk the language, and the fact that uh, you know, with your uh, with your background and uh, delivering the message that we're willing to uh, to work on the bigger. Uh, planning process with both the, uh, the city and the county. So thank you before you're even started here. Well, thank you for those comments, and uh, that's very reassuring to hear uh, the the feedback from um, you know your partners uh, in the valley as well at this point. Uh, so uh, unless there's some questions at this juncture, sort of on a more global scale, I'll just jump into uh, sort of a quick overview of the sub areas at this point. Okay, uh, Carly, I was going to, before uh, looking at this particular map, could we go to page 46? Um, uh, what, uh, bring up one other exhibit, which is... Uh, uh, it's a, an exhibit. The, the board has actual uh, hard copies. Thank you. 
on the screen there. Does anyone not have a copy of this? Thing? I was going to say, well, now that you've done it. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Caroline. Before I speak, uh, you know, uh, more specifically about the sub areas, this particular exhibit uh, is uh, <clears throat> quite important. Uh, it uh, it drives. Uh, and focuses a number of elements uh, that appear in the various sub-areas. And I want to take a minute just to really uh, sort of capture and emphasize uh, some of these characteristics. You know, the, the college property, uh, the location of this property is uh, very, very special. Uh, uh, and uh, the, the physical qualities of the campus as well are, are very, very special. And uh, if you uh, just study this map, one of the things that really uh, jumps out is that the college obviously uh, is uniquely uh, located as literally the gateway into Napa Valley. When you know the the tens of thousands of people that drive from south, from you know sort of south direction, and come into the valley, one of the first things that uh, they will pass by uh, is uh, the college. Unfortunately, from my perspective. Uh, the the impression, uh, your first impression when you see the college on Highway 221 is not very impressive. In fact, it's a little bit um, not, not much, not very inspirational. I think there's a wonderful opportunity as p part of the planning process to capture uh, this unique location and, and really showcase uh, the qualities of, of the college. Uh, and one of the mechanisms to achieve that is uh, this campus gateways, and there's there's three primary gateways uh, uh, that will eventually uh, be the primary uh, entry points into the campus. One off a of street blow on the south end, then we have the current, the primary uh, entryway off of Magnolia, and then ultimately we have a wonderful access point off of Imola uh, with the extension of Gasser Drive. Uh, you know, <clears throat> the, the extended frontage and this type of uh, exposure and visibility uh, to the college uh, is uh, extremely favorable as the college goes forward with uh, the you know, in incremental build-out of, of the campus. Another uh, you know, attribute uh, that is identified on this map is, is called a campus edge articulation uh, which refers to all the tremendous frontage and, again, exposure visibility that the college has both on 221 and Imola. That's highly unusual for a college campus to have this type of uh, exposure, and it allows for a whole variety of uh, very unique opportunities, not only uh, for entry uh, and, and, and future development purposes, uh, but also um, for placemaking and uh, providing an opportunity of, of, you know, aesthetically to enhance the physical appearance of the, of the campus. Uh, the, <clears throat> the community connection of, for 
the campus is also a critical element and um, has been factored into the sub-areas. Uh, one of the uh, important changes in terms of that uh, connectivity, and this was uh, a decision that was made uh, jointly, at least on a tentative basis at this point, between the college and officials from the city of Napa when we spoke to them about their response uh, over the future extension of Gasser Drive into the campus area. Uh, and I remember that conversation vividly. Uh, the uh, city was frankly extremely enthusiastic about the prospects of having another uh, entry point uh, into the college campus that would uh, potentially extend into the Kennedy Park area. It uh, substantially benefits uh, fire response and safety uh, and public safety generally. So uh, that will uh, hopefully be one of the very positive attributes when we speak about road access into the uh, college campus. Uh, <clears throat> and I'll speak more about the green belt, but obviously this picture it depicts it very clearly. Just uh, Dr. Kraft referred to it as sort of the backbone. It truly is a heart and soul. It's a natural amenity and resource that the college is blessed to have uh, that crosses the property. And uh, this uh, green belt uh, provides just a, a, multi, a multitude of, of, of planning benefits uh, and, and campus uh, and implementation of campus goals as well. And then lastly, uh, you know, I spoke about, uh, again, uh, placemaking and drawing more attention and interest uh, to the college as you view it uh, as a passerby. Uh, and that refers to the campus identity feature, and one of which is showing, uh, and I'll speak a little bit more about that, sub-area one, right at the corner of, of that you know, highly visible uh, corner of uh, Highway 221 in Imola. So uh, there are some... The college is very favorably positioned uh, from a physical and environmental standpoint to take advantage of uh, many of these features. Okay, so let's... Excuse me. What do you mean by campus identity feature? You mean like a sign, or what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, it could be really a whole variety of... Um, uh, you know, it, include, it could include signage, uh, monumentation... Uh, you could have uh, flags or banners, uh, you know, something that would draw the eye uh, to the location and also, uh, you know, signify that this is, this is Napa College. I mean, you do have the electronic, uh, you know, billboard essentially sign on 221, and there's another one, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, as you enter the campus from, from Magnolia. But both those signs, to me, are... Uh, they're, a little, you know, they're sort of more mechanically uh, driven. Um, they don't have a, 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 a very strong aesthetic uh, element to it, and I think there would be an opportunity to maybe either uh, not only build maybe uh, something in conjunction with those two monument uh, signs, but uh, you know, look at critical other locations where you could draw attention to that. You know, one suggestion I had was just a, a role of pennants or flags of something that would be important to the college along Highway 221. So as you drive by there, uh, you know a lot of a lot of uh, downtown areas uh, they they have rows of palm trees or they'll have um, banners that will cross streets at certain critical locations that serve as entry points and reminders that you're entering uh, a destination essentially. So 
So it can be something that simple and straightforward, colorful, playful, that would draw the eye to the, to the, to the campus. Well, I have a whole other uh, viewpoint on that. That berm would lend itself, uh, you know, one of the big things that's happening throughout the country for is uh, public art. And to hook up our art department with Gordon Huther, who does large uh, art pieces and create a field of art along that berm uh, that uh, some which, well, I don't know, I... Uh, thinking big, it could be uh, students' artwork that is, you know, in competition, or that's a showing place for some large uh, pieces of art, statue, whatever. Uh, but it, uh, that kind of a showcase, it's a little, a little more uh, about who we are and where we are with the public art and industry than. And flags, all the flags aren't a bad idea. But yeah, that, that's a wonderful idea, actually. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think that that a piece of art on the on the roundabout would be a nice. Uh, uh, I've already talked to Gordon about that, but yeah. of course, you know, it's to go through. I mean, he is uh, you know internationally known at this point and has done a lot of stuff. But uh, it's a, you know, it's a an institutional uh, issue, another, another one to look at this possibility. Yeah, I, I like those ideas very much. Thank you. Kyle, do I have a question? Yeah. You know, with, with, with aesthetics that, that we're talking about on, on, you know, on 221, how are we going to make that look aesthetically uh, feeling for us if right across the street we have barbed wire fence and a jail will be next to us as well? I mean, is there any element of that that you, that, that you take consideration in terms of how we can make our side match something without having the other side look so unesthetic? Well, you know, <clears throat> the objective would be the driver would be so focused on the college with um, the amenities that they would have no clue what's on the other side of the street. Now, that's a pretty substantial barrier, and uh, I'm not sure it would really be imperative um, to to try to, uh, you know, have something on both sides of the street. I mean, I would like to think the city of Napa, um, you know, it's within the city limits. This is their gateway. I like to think that uh, the city of Napa could do something that would be more impressive as you uh, come into the community. Do, do you have ideas for how to make, you said you weren't impressed with the front of the college. Do you have some ideas about what you think would make it look more impressive? Is that going into too much detail at this point? Well, not really, but I know Dr. Kraft is looking at me. He's uh, he's counting his dollars. So, you know, obviously something like that is um, th- there is a whole range of choices there. As a matter of fact, I mean, you could, uh, you know, the public art, and if there were contributions and donations, uh, that's that's a wonderful approach. Uh, but there are uh, there are modest uh, things that could be done there: landscaping, accent lighting, uh, you know, flags, pennants. Uh, these things don't necessarily cost a lot of money, but yet you can get uh, a lot of buck for your dollar, too. So I don't want to... Um, were you getting ready to say something? I was not. Okay. I don't want to minimize what Oscar just brought up, though, because um, I do think that in the process of what we're doing, we do need to think about <clears throat> the jail that's going to be built across the street, the sire expansion, all of those things that could impact and what kind of role are we going to play in 
you know, making sure that when people look at Napa Valley College that they're not, I don't want to go there because look at what's right across the street from us. So what kind of role will we play in what's happening with our neighbors um, and how that will affect the front of our, of you know, what people see. I mean, I think what Oscar has said is extremely valid, and we need to look at it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree, uh, and uh, it would be incumbent upon the college uh, as, uh, you know, some of these plans come to fruition is to be an active participant uh, and uh, the uh, and uh, make sure that yeah the, the particular interests of the college are accounted for. Yes. Yeah, so those th- so all of those things are there was public planning meetings happening right this minute. So we need to figure out who's there. Are you there? Who's there to figure out um, you know what they're doing and make sure that we're not blindsided. We do. I would just add that we we have had boy. I don't know, five to seven meetings with the county on specifically on the the new um, jail, Streblo. And actually, Kyle's going to talk about that, that Streblo piece coming in. And um, Matt um, sits, our facilities director, sits on the Kennedy Park Master Plan folks, for, and they're also looking at that Streblo piece. So we're, we're kind of representative. And... Um, uh, I think this is this is these are perfect questions because that's exactly what today is for. Kind of get into the mix. So I think Kyle, if we, just in terms of time, if you can start talking about the sub areas, and then I think because I think it's the same question. It also ties in with Napa Pipe. That apparently is going to happen. Yeah. And it, you know, it'd be nice if it all meshes together. I think based on you know Oscar said, but Marianne's comment that behoove this board to give uh, our president direction that, you know, we don't want to be blindsided and uh, uh, that we've got the right players at the table. And I, I know Kyle's already, um, you know, has developed the relationships with the city and county both. So however, uh, whoever Ron wants to delegate or however we do it, but if we all agree on you know, on the message, then that's the direction we ought to give. In terms of Sire, there was a big meeting last night, and there were so many people there and so many re- reports presented that were very complex that it's being held over until September 2nd. So that's still in discussion. Interesting. Okay, then let's uh, just move forward then uh, quickly into I the... I think Dr. Hawk had a question. Oh, I'm sorry. Your mic's not on, please. Um, on the map, are the is the pink area the Caltrans easements? Yes, they are. Okay, thank yes. you. They're easements. I think it might be actually property owned in fee by Caltrans. But I don't see that being problematic in terms of getting access rights, um, for example, into the college property. I've already spoken to Caltrans about that, and uh, it's just have to go through an exercise for it. Uh, just a, 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 a couple uh, preliminary comments on the sub areas. Dr. Kraft was um, provided a really excellent overview of the amount of feedback uh, and uh, ideas, opinions that uh, have been expressed over a long course of time. 
that uh, have collectively uh, been summarized uh, and uh, included uh, in the recommendations in the sub-area. But it's important also uh, to recognize that, as Dr. Kraft had pointed out, that this is a very fluid document. It's very flexible. This is the first take at it. Um, and even after the document ultimately is adopted, uh, you know, the, there is a recommendation built within the, uh, the document about a regular review of the document to make sure you keep it current and representative of the interests of the college. So <clears throat> I suspect that uh, the, you know, certainly some aspects of the text uh, in these sub-areas is going to be refined and clarified um, as we continue uh, further with uh, just distilling uh, and refining uh, the features within the plan itself. Uh, the first sub-area, and incidentally, the, the sub-areas do break out rather conveniently on the college property. Um, so that w- it, it proved to be very convenient. And as Dr. Kraft indicated, it also lends itself. It's very conducive to uh, when you review a document like this, it can focus your attention on one particular area. However, of course, we don't want to lose sight about the whole picture. So ultimately, when we're speaking about recommendations on individual areas, we want to remind ourselves, obviously, that the college uh, functions uh, in its entirety. And it's very important to maintain these interrelationships uh, of both uses and connectivity throughout the entire college campus. So we can't just isolate in one single geographic area. The first area, right at the intersection, uh, is a very intriguing little residual parcel, I call it. It's sort of out of sight and out of mind, uh, in my estimation, from sort of the college proper, because uh, you know it's segregated from the main college property by a very substantial wetland area, which I have learned um, is uh, you cannot encroach on that, you cannot bridge it, uh, you cannot trim it back. Uh, it's a very a highly regarded environmental area that um, truly will have to remain uh, uh, preserved in its natural state. So that, that has created this little pocket at the corner there that uh, uh, has <clears throat> does have some, some interesting possibilities. Uh, uh, you know, the key initiatives, um, again, because of its location visibility, be a wonderful location for placemaking and creating some sort of a college uh, identity feature there of, you know, artwork, a bell tower, sculpture, signage. Uh, I think that uh, would be, uh, at minimum, something that should be seriously considered. Uh, there is an opportunity. Obviously, there's very little maintenance on that. Most people probably don't even, frankly, perceive that as being part of the college, which may be fine because there's nothing terribly aesthetically pleasing about it at the current Current time, but there is an opportunity to enhance that through landscaping, berming, again some aesthetic lighting, uh, possibly. Um, when it, when, uh, uh, and then uh, we've spoken to uh, both the city and uh, the county officials about the possibility of uh, of uh, creating some type of a modest development scenario there that would be complementary to uh, the south. Uh, uh, you know, marketplace across the street. In fact, you know, the intersection there leading into the marketplace lines up. I've walked this property numerous times. Uh, in fact, there's even a curb cup there at the present time. I think there's an expectation 
of that controlled intersection that ultimately that street would be extended into this pocket for a modest type of retail, maybe office retail type of facility there. There's enough area there where you could actually generate sufficient square footage uh, with parking to create a legitimate development site. If you looked at this property from that standpoint, obviously that is an immediate revenue source for the college. Um, you know, the, the feedback that, that we received, um, you know, during the outreach process is that is this property really conducive to some sort of a classroom or a college, uh, uh, you know, physical facility there? Uh, the consensus was probably not because it's uh, just, frankly, too segregated from the main part of the campus. But at the same time, I, I do believe that it, it has uh, some very unique uh, development potential that would be very uh, attractive from, uh, from a developer standpoint as well. Excuse me. Excuse me. Are you, are you talking about selling it so somebody can have a commercial retail opportunity there? Are you talking about the college engaging in a retail? I, I'm not suggesting that the college necessarily be involved in uh, you know retail. That's a little bit out of your area, your comfort zone, probably. Dr. Kraft could answer that better than I could, probably. But uh, you know, <clears throat> the beauty about uh, you know, the college is that you, you, you do indeed have an abundance of, of, of very valuable vacant land uh, that uh, is potentially extremely beneficial, obviously, to the college and the whole variety of student needs. Um, uh, and those, of course, would be the, the first priority, but this property is also extremely valuable for other potential uses. It can be a public-private venture, uh, in the case of this particular location, uh, you know, the, obviously the property is owned by the college. Um, you could you could sell the property. Uh, the college has that that capability. Uh, it's not a separate parcel. It's a, it's part of a larger parcel, so it would have to be segregated as a separate parcel. That actually is a pretty straightforward task. It's a very routine uh, subdivision that would be processed through the city of Napa. Uh, uh, or, or the, the the college could entertain a lease option uh, and joint venture uh, with a uh, you know a, a private entity too. Uh, that's something that uh, the college would have to talk more thoroughly about. I would just add, and so because we're not going to dig too deep tonight, but m- many colleges have their front corner. I mean, it's so similar, and and many have also done these public-private partnerships. You know, they, 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 in essence, recognize a stream of income from the lease um, for the life of it, but they don't really give up the, the ownership rights of it. And um, so we can look. There's a lot of different models. Should the board want to move forward on this, which is one of the recommendations, I think, at the end of tonight um, to explore, then we'll just start teasing that out and come back to you with other scenarios. Uh, the second sub-area um, is uh, the Magnolia Street entryway, which... Uh, as I said before, is uh, currently and will continue to be the primary access point in the college. So that in and of itself represents a, a, you know, a tremendous opportunity for a whole variety of uh, possibilities. Uh, in combination with that, uh, and of course all of you know that property quite well, uh, you know, it's relatively level, has excellent visibility, tremendous access, it has all the faculties uh, and ingredients of um, 
providing some uh, tremendous uh, opportunities for the college. And those opportunities, uh, you know, <clears throat> can really be a very broad range of, of functions uh, that would be strictly for the benefit of the college. It could potentially be another public-private joint venture uh, with, with somebody from the outside. Or um, I know that during uh, you know, our outreach, we had a lot of feedback that people were intrigued, and I like this idea myself, and that is to have uh, really a joint-use building. So it's a building that, that offers um, some sort of tangible benefit and activity for the college, but maybe during off hours or in conjunction uh, with the college activity, it provides a resource to the community. I think that's a really interesting concept that should be explored in more detail. Um, you know, <clears throat> the idea about even a hotel here, you have plenty, obviously Napa Valley has plenty of, of uh, visitors, but the college has plenty of visitors too. You have parents coming here all the time. You have kids here. What a, what a wonderful possibility of having uh, uh, sort of a lower-cost overnight facility for uh, the guests of the college. And this would be potentially really a good location for that. Um, you know, this, uh, again, because of its proximity and entry into the college, the Campus Welcoming Center would be uh, another, uh, to me, a very interesting possibility. Of, and, of, and uh, of course, the Hospitality and Culinary Arts Center. It's a large parcel. There's probably about uh, 10 acres of very, very developable property uh, right there with... Um, uh, you could really make a, you could, you could showcase a building and make a tremendous statement there. The city of Napa, one time, while we were uh, in the early development of this plan, wanted to put uh, one of their fire stations there. And Ron and I are thinking, well, I don't know if the college really wants a, a new fire station at the primary access point um, to the campus. So fortunately, they found another location for Okay. Um, sub area three. Let me go back just quickly. Uh, you know, um, some of the board members have talked to me, and I've forgotten who, to be frank. I can't remember. We visited the Santa Rosa JC um, Culinary Bakery Center, which is right across the street from their their campus. And this is, this is that kind of development that we're kind of exploring, those possible kind of things that could work for both programmatically um, and also could work, could be a benefit to the community. So many tie-ins to hospitality, et cetera. So just one of those ideas. Sorry, Kyle. No, thank you. Sub area three is a street blow entryway. Again, one of the uh, primary uh, access points uh, into the college. Uh, it's also a street that is uh, shared with the city of Napa uh, as uh, access to Kennedy Park. And as a result of that, it uh, intrinsically any activity uh, on the the uh, in this particular location will indeed require very close coordination with the city of Napa. Dr. Kraft and I have already had conversations with Napa officials about that. I know the city of Napa is contemplating some improvement, realignment, and expansion, if you will, of this intersection that uh, most certainly will affect the college, and so. The college should uh, stay very much on top of uh, those future street improvements off of Street Blow. Um, you know, once again, th this property 
I think most uh, land planners and real estate uh, specialists would look at this property and they'd scratch their heads and think, wow, why would uh, somebody want to put an agricultural use on a property that is so preeminent, uh, so visible? Uh, It's a wonderful size, great location. It has all the attributes of, uh, frankly, a higher and better use. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know. Obviously, the the college's wine program here is very, very significant. It continues to grow. It continues to obtain tremendous recognition in the valley. It's a really important part of the operations. Um, but uh, I know some people would like to see myself included. Um, uh, the uh, looking at the feasibility at some point of relocating that vineyard um, to some other location, either on the main campus or conceivably maybe someplace even off-site. Uh, the uh, the consensus here on uh, sub-area three was that the highest and best use certainly was not in agricultural use, um, and there are you know other more significant opportunities I think uh, available to the college of. Like, uh, this is very intriguing, a multi-use conference, special event space there that, again, would be sort of joint use for both the college and the community. Um, The area could support uh, office space there, uh, both uh, potentially for the benefit of the college and the community. Uh, Student Activity Center. Um, And I know the college has had uh, recent discussions about of you know, adding more uh, attributes to the wine program, including a tasting facility. You know, think about this location, its, vis- its visibility uh, and direct access, the tasting facility there. You would uh, entertain people there, and they turn ho- turn around and go home. They wouldn't even want to go bother to go up Valley. They, they, they have all their wonderful wine right here. That would be the end of the day. Can I, <laughs> can I just make um, a couple of comments? All of these things, especially on these corners that, that you're talking about and, and some of the conversation we had earlier, you know, I, I agree that a lot of this, what's there now, is not the highest and best use. But earlier we were talking about developing this in some way that is clearly tells people you've arrived at Napa College, you, this is the destination. A lot of these things that, that we're talking about now, I think, um, would impede that. Uh, an office building on that corner, when people drive up and see that corner, I mean, what I see there right now is vineyards. Um, I'd rather see that than an office building mm-hmm. that's going to close the campus off from the street where people aren't going to be able to see the, the campus. Yeah. I, I'd love to see a winery there. You know, that's what do people come up here looking for, wineries. Right. If you had a winery on the corner, um, that would be a big draw into the, the campus. Same thing with the other entry on Magnolia. You know, putting a hotel there, I think, does the same thing. It cuts off, you know, the, the, the campus. Uh, it kind of, you're starting to build a wall here with commercial uses that aren't directly, you know, the, the college. It's not about the college. That's my concerns about that. I think the area number one is a perfect place for some kind of commercial development. It's cut off. You don't know it's there. Uh, it'd be great passive income for for the college as as a you know ground lease. Um, so that's the type of thing that I think we we really need to 
to watch as we, we develop this, that some of those ideas are, could end up blocking the college off. What do, you, what do you see when you go to a lot of major colleges, their stadium? You know, you see their stadium. Um, that's, that's huge. That's uh, what draws a lot of kids, you know, to schools when they see your athletic facilities uh, and that sort of thing. So I think that's something that, that we need to, to really think about on those, especially those corners and those areas. Yeah, you, I think you raised some very excellent points there. I, I probably should have embellished a little bit. I know we're running out of time, but, uh, you know, when I speak about these buildings, uh, the locations do uh, represent uh, the potential to have some very impressive signature buildings uh, on the college campus. Uh, but the size and scale, I couldn't agree with you more, is extremely important. So I was not envisioning anything, frankly, over maybe two stories in any of these locations. And then uh, really augmented, however, with uh, you know, very strong aesthetic features because you're right, you could, you, you could visually you know, block off the, the campus and, and also create the structures that uh, might just uh, prove to be uh, out of scale uh, with with the, the college, so yeah, there's those are excellent points and things that you know. It, at some point, if if there is genuine interest on some of these properties, then much of that is going to have to be looked at in considerably more detail. Okay, I just want you want to echo what Rafael just said, and I think it's it may not make sense from a developer's point of view, but from a community point of view. I think it is important to have something that fits in with the landscape. And um, the, the other thing I was going to say, I think just a caution, because that term, it's actually a commonly used term that agriculture is the highest and best use in the county. It's actually part of our county general plan. Oh, so true. we need to be careful when we're talking to the wine industry and county that we don't say that, specifically that expression, because that actually is often used, that agriculture is the highest and best use in the valley. So I just want to caution you with that. Um, and then finally... I'm just um, just wanted, I don't know, hotels and office space, and I'm just wondering how far we're getting you know, away from the mission of the college in terms of keeping the focus on education and, and again, having our educational planning drive you know, our, our, our campus plan and our facilities. I, I could see a hotel that's run by students, part of our hospital. We hired a hospitality instructor today. Uh, on that north corner, you've got some topography Put a put a hotel where you can look down and watch some crushed grapes from the student vineyards done by students, and we're in, we're in the county can do that. I mean, just take advantage of what we have. Sit down and, and let's look at kind of a uh, Dr. Kraft approach of just a blended blended use where we have uh, food ser- served by students at a hotel run by students and and um, overlooking a winery. And take the elevator down into the cellar and have a tasting of the greatest wines in the world. So, they, no, I, I, I listen, I, I hear all this as well, and, and yes, I have concerns. Uh, but it's just so exciting to, to think about the possibilities of incorporating this and that and, and uh, having more discussion around this. I think in this initial report, there are a lot of bullets from pure educational use. This is a classroom to non-educational, you know, so we have to keep our eyes always on the educational piece so it doesn't vary through. I think the perfect match is what you talked about. It's, you know, where you really can blend and marry those two things and and it doesn't hurt those pieces. Uh, Yeah. 
Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you for those comments. And, you know, again, this is a, a sort of a menu, and if the menu is too narrow, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> there's uh, always an opportunity, and, and that's why we're having this conversation. Um, or, or if there is a too strong of an emphasis in, in uh, you know, uh, one particular area that, uh, you know, can be sort of de-emphasized. And um, so uh, all this feedback is extremely important. Right. Uh, sub area five. Oh, four. I, that's pretty straightforward. I, there's really not much to say about uh, sub area four. That is the academic core, uh, and what is driving um, the 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 planning and uh, sort of land use decisions. And uh, uh, sub area four is the facilities master plan, uh, and essentially that's what the document says. So you know for the whatever ultimately ends up in the facilities master plan will sort of be the driving force um, within sub area four. A question, Kyle, on, on looking at. Uh, well, I'm also flipping over to the executive summary and you're looking at the new college buildings that are planned and and uh, the additional development and all around the corners. Uh, no new parking, uh, which uh, seems like a waste of. Good, uh, good space. Anyway, but I, I don't see any additional parking, perhaps a structure or, or uh, what other. Uh, are we relying totally on transit or other means to get students to and from, as well as uh, some of these commercial slash uh, collegiate um, uses of these buildings? Or well, I know that the the. The buildings that are shown as new are, you know, currently appear in the facilities master plan. Whether or not uh, they will stay there, uh, I don't know, as part of the update process. The facilities master plan, uh, as I recall, does not uh, make recommendations to increase the amount of parking on campus. Uh, Dr. Kraft, are you? Well, uh, it, it, maybe when we talk about and it might be time to really talk about some of the athletic field, or, or even Campus Village contemplates quite a bit of excess parking, and it also contemplates some of the um, bike, pedestrian, and um, other pathways to the college. You know, so I'm, I'm not quite sure. It's a great point. I mean, and we need to highlight that, Michael. So we made a note. So we we are. Are we ten minutes away? When are we are we ten minutes away? So I would like. Uh, um, to make sure, with the board's permission, that we talk about sub area eight, which is the campus greenbelt and the and the campus um, campus village a bit. So at least you get to air these things because we're asking you for some action on some of those areas. So maybe while well, I'm looking to see where that is, uh, sub area is on page forty five. Yes, maybe if you could jump to sub area seven, and we can just talk about it a little bit. So, because the board is up to date on this, and we've talked about it, but I think talking about it more generally now is a good thing. It's on the on the handout. It's on page um, forty-two. I think it's missing. Oh, this oh, yeah. is. 42, yeah. All right, very quickly, uh, 
Yeah, sub area seven. This is uh, uh, really one of the more intriguing uh, concepts that has evolved through our extensive uh, discussions with the stakeholders, and that is uh, to create uh, a living, breathing uh, campus uh, village uh, in this particular location. Uh, it would become sort of a destination type of environment where uh, you know we there would become a permanent population that would uh, reside on the college property that would be consist of a student faculty, uh, possibly special needs housing. Uh, you know, some of these deci- decisions have not been made. Um, but uh, <clears throat> it has tremendous access from potentially from gas or drive. It's a large enough uh, area of property that could support uh, you know, a, uh, a very respectably sized type of uh, housing. And it's envisioned to be really a mixed use. It's not just exclusively housing but there would be a combination of uh, some student services, uh, maybe some minor retail that would cater to uh, the students that would reside there and faculty. Um, and uh, potentially it could also be, like I said, special needs housing uh, and ultimately even some market rate housing if there was the room and the surplus. And if the college wanted to tap into a potential revenue source there, uh, the market rate housing certainly would uh, allow for that. Um, so uh, it, it's, a, it's a really key component. Uh, it's really a game changer in my mind for the college to really think about having a thriving, vibrant uh, campus village of, uh, on the property. Uh, you know, <clears throat> other colleges, ha- uh, you know, they do have these and they seem to be universally very, very acceptable. And I might say this is really a great opportunity because just for or five years ago, before the dredging and diking of Napa River, this entire property was uh, unavailable for development. It was literally within the floodway, and the Army Corps of Engineers would not allow, entertain any form of development in a floodway. And so the college was, uh, <clears throat> they, you were positioned very well. You can thank you know, all those associated with the, the flood protection program there, but as a result of that, this property was redesignated. It's in a flood plain, but not a flood way, and development is certainly very, uh, very, uh, you know, feasible within a flood plain. So, it's a particularly a particular benefit for the college, and uh, you know, with the access here and the proximity, of the village is a little bit distant from the academic core, which provides that I think a really pleasant a residential environment, peaceful, tranquil but yet it has great accessibility to the balance of the campus. And then the last sub-area of the campus, Greenbelt, which I think everybody recognizes is really the heart and soul here. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful natural resource. Uh, it... And it, as stated here, it has a tremendous potential to accentuate uh, all the college programs and services that are associated with ecological study, uh, environmental preservation. Uh, It has a potential of attracting uh, considerable outside interests, I believe, from a whole variety of environmental groups. So I think the college should get some tremendous mileage and co-participation in the restoration and enhancement uh, of this area. Uh, you know, it's been, 
It's a wonderful natural resource that has had uh, from time to time some enhancement and restoration, but not on a consistent basis. And I, you know, I think most of us, uh, you know, can vision a uh, a water body and an, ec- uh, and an ecological area there that would just be rich in wildlife. Uh, it would have meandering pathways, a wonderful place to stroll. It could be a, a great um, connector to the Vine Trail uh, as part of that. So uh, the Green Bow just has some tremendous upside potential that uh, I think uh, has benefits uh, to uh, many, many uh, different special interests of people throughout the Valley. Can I ask, ask a question on this? Um, I think this is... This is wonderful. It could be just an unbelievable feature. It's got this great, creates this great flow through the campus, and, and it's connected to you know to the city, and potentially the park over here. So I'm I'm assuming there'll be some discussions. Does the city own this little corner where this other pond is here? Yes. Um, because you know it has this potential for this wonderful flow, but it right now obviously because of the the colors and everything, it just kind of stops there, and it right. feels like that's really what would happen <laughs> um, if we can't influence that section. They seemed, I think in our, we'll try to keep this short, and we'd love to come back to this, but in our meetings with the city, they were very um, amenable to working with us. They very much would like the road from Amola, I'm sorry, from Gasser Way, that, that north road um, on, the, on our property, or the eastern road on our property, I think there's trade-offs here, and they'd very much, uh, you know, allow us that. We've already met with the Vine Trail folks, who have have uh, exceed, conceptually agreed that they would like the Vine Trail to do to follow along the river, but also to split and move through our greenbelt. So, so um, folks who are biking or walking would have the option, and it's um, it's exactly as you say. I mean, it's a it's a four-minute bike ride to downtown to Memorial Park from right there. And um, it would be e- exceptional use of our property. Well, along with that, uh, since it takes so long to put together a new major, is there the educational master plan? Is there any thinking direction of uh, majors in that in the ecological field? That's uh, that you know we've got the site to be able to. Uh, do some of the, the work on site, particularly. So I would think that we've never gotten into the green program, so to speak, and I uh, uh, seems to me this lends itself to that. So if I can just comment on that, um, Joanne, the, I mean, having a green belt like this, and, and part of what Kyle said is that it, it does need some work. I mean, if you go over and look at our pond, um, it, it's a project in itself. Um, but having that area and committing to um, revigorating it um, would would sit well with uh, with expanding our biology into more of um, the outdoors. I, I, I mean, we offer an ecology class, but that's about the extent of what we do in uh, wildlife biology. Having a green belt um, like this would provide opportunity to make that expansion. Um, and, and so it is definitely something that, um, you know, I'll be engaging the biologists in thinking about, especially as we move forward in this project. Good. Thank you. This, I'm going to th- thank you, Kyle. And right. Thank way, you, 
happy for this opportunity. Happy birthday. Enjoy and good luck as birthday. you go this forward is a nice uh, thing, yeah. on the master plan. Happy birthday. Um, this last um, slide here, just to you know, respect time, is really, didn't know quite what to term this, so just you kind of be flexible on the term, but it's next steps, moving this initial report, key initiatives to really implementation plans. So what we're really looking for are these um, bullets. Um, we're looking really for the board to give a thumbs up, metaphoric, if you will, um, engage in conversations with college on the, on the justice green belt. In other words, we believe the green belt in the sub area eight is a good one to begin conversations with. We're already in conversations with some of the foundations, with other people. There's some pieces of this that can move forward that are not um, resource rich. They um, they can be accomplished, you know, with good partnerships and won't cost us a lot of money. And those conversations are ongoing. I'm at the place with a lot of those conversations where I actually need the board's kind of um, nod to go much farther. Second one is, and I've floated this with several several folks and certainly the core group and across um, the the um, the city and other folks is create this blue ribbon panel, which is basically this is a community group um, along with college stakeholders um, that would have input into Campus Village. The last thing I think this board needs or would want to do is to build something in isolation without deep conversation with the community. So this would allow those voices to really have a place. Um, we have great, as Kyle alluded to, there are great examples of wonderful campus villages all across the United States, many in California that are just fabulous, including some right next door in Sonoma um, that we could look at and talk about. The third one is actively coordinate with the college and community stakeholders on development and feasibility of that sub-area one, the area we were talking about, which is most likely a, a small commercial development piece. Um, and then complete, hopefully, this is all this year, this, this academic year um, through the next summer, work on the district, um, as I talked with Diane about volume two, Upper Valley Campus. We really need to start working on that in, in more depth. Say, what, what is it that we want to do up there and what's it really look like? Additionally, this is kind of the contemporaneous pieces that we talked about, complete the EMP and the facilities master plan volume five, which would allow us, if we did those things and the board so wished, to move towards a bond measure um, conversation that would be more specifically how to fund those uh, academic core buildings. So I guess what I'm asking you to do is to... Forgotten the, the language. Do we use it on the next slide or not? No, we did not wrap up. We're seeking board consensus. You know, we're really not looking for anything other than to say, do we stop working on the project or investigating stuff, or or can we continue? And in the board's view, these are the recommendations that I'm saying we we need to continue to focus on. You can go back to ticket if you will. So I mean, just just general broad discussion on this is good. You're not committing. There's nothing to vote on. I just want, I, it's just really I'm looking for the board's um, weigh-in in this workshop to, to say, yes, continue on this path of exploration and development. I, I, think, it's, um, I think it's a good plan. It's, it's very ambitious, but I, I think it's uh, well laid out for the next steps, and I think we, we should move forward. Should we talk, should we maybe, do we want to focus on all of it, or... You know, are there certain areas that seem more 
important to us or like we think might be bigger priorities. I don't know. Seems like it's a it's a lot. It's ambitious, like it Raphael was saying. Like with number eight here, I think the the good thing about that that Ron said is as being kind of the first area is that there's a lot that can be done without a lot of expenditure at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be, even before any other buildings or anything gets built, become a real focal point for the campus and the community. So That uh, can lead to other plans. And, and other interest from the community and the rest of the, the campus. Um, and with um, the, the campus village is kind of the same thing. I think there's a lot of not just college needs that could be met, but yeah. potentially some community needs that can so also too. be met there. Um, and Area 1, like I said, a, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for some passive income to the college um, in a, on a spot that nobody even knows exists. I just have a question about that area. Is um, Just as a way to combine this idea of you know, it's separate, maybe it could bring in some income, but to still keep the focus on education, is that a place where maybe a hotel could be that's ran by students, you know, I think it's too and small. so forth? Yeah, I think Kyle had identified, I think net-net, it's a little over an acre, you know, when you're really starting to look at it. So you, you could, but yeah, I think, you know, some variation what, what on that theme, ideas, though. I mean, do you have any ideas for that area, what you think is appropriate based on the um, size? I think that would be, it would be just in terms of time, yes. I think it would be an excellent thing. My goal today is if, we, if you're giving me a straw kind of thumbs up, we'll bring these back one at a time now for the board to start talking about, college stakeholders to start talking about at other board meetings. Starting in September, we'll talk about each of them a little bit and, and show your progress, get ideas. No, we want this to be a very community, very transparent, wonderfully engaged process. So as we move forward, there's a groundswell of, yeah, we'd really like the college to do that versus, you know, fighting off, trying to do it in, in isolation. I think all these, I mean, I, I think they're good. I just have concerns, like I said, about that last one. If there's a way to still keep the focus on education, like maybe that's where a tasting room could go. I mean, I don't know, but that's my only thing. But I think it's worth pursuing looking at all these. Is there... Is there a lot of expenditure in the athletic fields? I mean, that's something that the community, I mean, with everything we're doing out at the Kennedy Park and with the Vine Trail, I mean, community softball games, soccer games. I mean, there's a large base in yeah. this community that plays soccer. Is there a tremendous amount of expense with it right now? or? Um, no, I mean there's two two issues here. One, collaborating with outside users, and, and Oscar has a piece of this. And we've talked a little bit about and, you know intramural. There's some there's some really strong immediate things that we can do that connect us with the community. Um, some of the soccer fields have an inherent issue in that they're below grade, uh, you know, for rains and it gets really tough out there. Um, however, we have had conversations with the Kennedy Park folks. And as you as you know, and in terms of sharing soccer fields or or fields in the future, if we did that, that would allow this land then later on to be um, viewed for another use or expanded use. We did have a conversation, as you remember, with the Admirals Baseball Club um, team. Sorry, to um, you know think about doing some some things there. So, um, I guess the answer is all. There's a lot of good possibilities there. I'm not sure that it's, in my view, the easiest to tackle right now. But certainly the collaborative things to do there with other groups is easy to do. 
I think anything that we can do, I mean, all of these areas, I think, are great opportunities for us. Anything that we can do to keep them connected to our core, um, the green belt is, is kind of a no-brainer to me. But like Michael was saying, anything that we can do to really focus and um, expose our hospitality, winemaking, um, I think that that would be a good direction for us to keep exploring that. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to explore. Your mic on? Some, yes, to explore some limited commercial partnerships for leasing, but I, I would not be in favor of selling any property. I totally agree. Yeah, I would not consider uh, uh, selling. The, the one, uh, you know, the green belt is, that's a, that's a uh, specific group with the ecological interests. The campus village, I think this is very timely because is, uh, we're probably all aware housing is becoming a, a major crisis and there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's work afoot to put together stakeholders to look at that and, and from the broadest perspective. Uh, and the, the, the hot issue uh, right now, and some of you may have seen, there's a television uh, uh, series running out, The Tiny House. People are looking for anywhere from 350 square feet up to 500. And some of the, it's a program that just showcases what, I mean, there's a couple companies doing some really innovative stuff. And then uh, the uh, if those of you that haven't seen it, the development that was done years ago over on um, uh, Lincoln, uh, right in there, it was by the river, at cross from Compadres. They're they're small, and they're probably I think they're about 700. But the city allowed those to be built as long as they're they're on a base where because it was in the floodplain. They're on a base where they can be towed out in the winter. And they've had to do that a few times, but that's another example in, in terms of, uh, you know. The, so there's a, that blue ribbon panel, I think, is really uh, key to become something like that maybe already started the community to, uh, to be definitely be a part of. The most difficult area is the Imola Highway 221, Caltrans, uh, you're talking about a 10-year window. So that, if we're going to, rather than that corner being the first, I think it makes more sense, and it isn't on your list here, is the connection coming in to the campus from Gasser Drive. If if that becomes, uh, you know, a higher priority that would... That's one way that the Imola 221 is not going to be an issue. They're not going to allow anything of intensity there. As you know, we've had Lowe's came to us wanting to uh, lease that space. They go head-to-head with Home Depot. There was a senior retirement center that uh, every year for about five years contacted us, interested in putting a facility there. And, of course, that could be additional training for our health occupations areas. So. Uh, but the uh, the issue with Caltrans is. Well, I, I do hear two things. I, I, I think everybody. I'm again looking at time, but I, I, I'm hearing 
pretty thumbs up on Greenbelt, Silveria 8, and also explore at least, let's start talking about this campus village piece. And, w and we can bring those. None of this conversation forecloses any other conversation about any of those others. So we're not deciding tonight to do something. And we're certainly do to stick, you know, to to senates and, and units. It's also important to know that this is a ongoing conversation for all of these. So um, I appreciate it. I, I, I'm excited about where we're going. And, and um, with your okay on it, Dan, I, I guess we'll we'll just continue to move forward on these at least these two areas. I was just going to say, unless there's any major objections, I think uh, we should continue to move on with this. Raphael, go ahead. And just that we're going to simultaneously yes. continue to work on the Up Valley campus issues? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, the piece of the Volume 2 Upper Valley, yeah, absolutely. If I may add, it's just the, the longer we delay on that, that, that green belt, it, it seems to be growing like a chia pet or something. It is, <laughs> And it's, we put money into it from the 2002 bond, and it's, I like to see something that's interactive, uh, that's has some use, and I like the meandering paths and so on and so forth. But it's it's growing. I think it's actually it has encroached on the potential for Area One, and, and I I'm sure you recall Joanne that we've discussed about uses that that do um, promote the college and are, do enhance our programs here in, in previous board meetings and and that we did decide that we would not sell any property that would be long-term lease in our previous uh, board meetings uh, to give you a little bit of uh, yeah, history. I, I feel strongly that that, that corner needs to uh, be something connected to, to uh, the excess of students. I, I really... I really don't want to see retail there. That's my personal. You've got you've got a lot of energy going across the street with that new hotel and and uh, more shops. The fences have gone up for additional uh, the next phase. So uh, I'm with you. Let's explore. So I guess the consensus is to continue moving down this. Okay, we are now returned to public session. First uh, items from the closed session. There have been several people who have been approved for hiring. Um, Berta Lloyd, Acting Dean, Economic Workforce Development. Um, Diane White is the Temporary Academic Administrator, pursuant to Education Code. Uh, chemistry instruct Instructor, Alan Beamer. Mathematics Instructor, Jose Rico. Uh, associate Degree Nursing Instructor, Karen Lewis. Uh, mail and Facilities Clerk, Matthew Souza. And Secretary 3, Office of Institutional Advancement, Catherine Peralta. Excuse me, Mr. Chair, was that by unanimous vote? Yes, it was. Thank you. 4.1, we had a preliminary uh, beginning of the evaluation. Essentially just saw the parameters of how... Value, uh, president's evaluation will be, and that will be completed. Uh, we had a report on the uh, negotiations with faculty, classified, and administration. And a uh, report on the Menlo property. There has been one 
one uh, bid received for that property, and we're expecting one more to be open next month. And that's it for closed session. So, Brian, I don't often see you at a meeting. Would you like to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance? Thank you. Thank you. A good job. <laughs> Adopting adoption of agenda. And before we adopt it, just note that uh, two of the agenda items have been tabled until next month for um, further consideration. That would be Board Policy 2714, distribution of tickets or passes, and Board Policy 2720, communication among board members. Um, other than that, I, how did those get tabled? Well, I voted, well, I'm tabling communications. And um, let's just say we, just, we don't have a complete report yet, and I've consulted with the attorney, and we're going to have the report next month from this month's agenda. It'll, 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 it'll be up uh, next month. And I don't know why we, uh, we moved the first one, tickets or passes. Um, there was some additional uh, research to be done with the IRS code, not just ah. the fair political oh, practices. Yeah, good old IRS. Okay. So with those two changes, the chair would entertain a motion. Thank you. I'll second. Uh, on the question, all in favor of adopting the agenda, signify by aye. saying aye. 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 Okay, now it's public comment. At this time, the board will devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees regarding any subject not appearing as an agenda item for this meeting, but over which the board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the board to place an item related to the business of the district on a future board agenda. No action or discussion will occur at this time on such items. Individuals will be limited to a three-minute presentation. At this time, the board chair will poll those in attendance regarding their intent to speak on the agenda. Is there anyone wishing to speak? No one? Okay, public comment is over. Seven point. Zero seven point one academic send report Amanda Badgett. Good evening, board. Um, I have just a few brief remarks. Uh, as I'm sure you know, well, certainly Michael knows. He joined us today for the first of our two fall instructional excellence days, and happy to report that we um, welcomed. 12 new faculty members, including uh, full-time temporary uh, faculty. And uh, I feel that the beginning of the semester started off on a, on a good foot, especially as we're moving into to both today and tomorrow. We've already done a good bit of assessment work, working towards um, shoring up where we need to uh, continue uh, assessing, and I think, based on my own experience, the structure is working very well. 
and so I'm sure there will be a lot of good work coming out by the end of tomorrow. And uh, as we've not met yet, semester not begun, um, I think I'll just conclude with that. Thank you. Thank you. 7.2, Administrative Send Report, Ken Arnold. No, Ken was not feeling well and had no report. Okay. 7.3, Associated Students. Eleni couldn't make it today, but um, they briefly wanted me to mention that ASMBC is going to their retreat this weekend. Other than that, no report because we haven't met yet. Thank you. 7.4, Classified Association Board, Jan Shark, President. Thank the board for helping us expedite the uh, contract and getting our salary increase on the last paycheck. It was very nice to have that extra 3%. Um, one of the things we do want to work on, though, is more classified involvement in the instructional excellence days. Um, it was, we know assessment is very important, but it was lacking for classified this time, and we, it'll probably happen again in January, so we need to work on that community, especially with the AB 2558 legislation. Thank you. Um, 7.5, Classified Senate Report, Chris Farmer, President. Hello again. Um, the Classified Senate, we've had four meetings in the last month. Our goal is to plan out for the whole year. Hire research, you elect a research analyst as your president. You're just asking for it. Uh, so we've established budgets and targets, and you know I'm surprised I still have a cabinet at this point. But um, I wanted to show you one thing. Now this is our website as it is now. We're working on an update, uh, which will all change. But we put one nifty little thing here just to show off. This is our upcoming events um, page. Oh, it's. Hmm. Oh, there it is. Oh, don't want to do that. Oh. We can edit all this out. So, this is our upcoming events uh, page. We have our calendar embedded over here. And then this is our Classified Senate Twitter feed. So if you're interested in knowing what's going on in the Classified Senate, this is how we're going to start trying to communicate a little bit more. Uh, let me skip down to this one real quick. You may recognize this young lady. And let me tell you, she was nominated to be Employee of the Month four separate times, but because she was president, she declined the nomination. Well, the first month that she wasn't president, we made sure she won the nomination. So this is our employee of the month for August, Ms. Valerie Exum, who was our Senate president for four years, and she's worked at this college for 30-plus years, and she's retiring. So yesterday was actually her last day. She has some vacation. She'll be back in October for a going-away party. But um, we've been very blessed to have her as our president, and I can only hope to fill her shoes. Um, and then I want to look at one more picture on our Twitter feed. Just show off our Twitter feed. This was today at our classified flex day lunch that we put on. And we got a few pictures here. I just want to thank, I don't know who all was there. I, my back was to the crowd most of the day cooking. But 
If you were there, thank you, thank you very much. We we did quite well. I think uh, we'll probably be allowed for another whole scholarship just based on the generosity of this campus. So we're very thankful for that, particularly Mr. Forrest Quinlan, who I don't know where he got the money from, and we're not asking, but he gave us a pretty big donation just on his own. So um, also none of them are here, but... You know, thank you to my whole cabinet. They really busted their buns today to make it a good event. Thank you. Seven point six faculty association report. Diana Chibati. So um, first, I would like to say that the assessment work is still going on while you were in closed session. Amanda and I were in track dad and looking at data and um, ways to do it. And then Robin came in and we furthered our dialogue and dug a little deeper into how we can collect data and talk about it. So um, also we wanted to thank um, the board and whoever was responsible and Ken for the additional parking by our offices so I know you heard a lot about parking last year from uh, past president Denise Roselli, and I will tell you I probably carry 40 to 60 pounds up to, and back and forth to my office every day. So it really is nice when I don't have to carry it several miles. Um, actually, I don't. I just join Denise and park illegally. But aside from that, <laughs> we're glad to have it. Um, in the past week, um, I have had productive, um, what I felt were productive um, meetings with um, Vice President Juni and Vice President um, Hawk. So that's been good, and we had a meeting on Tuesday. Um, Ron had pulled some people together to, to meet. Um, I am looking, hopefully, forward to a good and productive year as association president. Um, negotiations went well yesterday, too, so that is good also. Um, also, I would just like to acknowledge and offer in a formal um, setting um, the association's condolences to our facilities colleagues and the loss of their colleague Steve Acevedo. Um, it's a big loss, I'm sure, for those that work with him daily, um, but also for the rest of us. So I just wanted to acknowledge that loss. Thanks. Can I add something? I'd like to just thank Diana and Amanda for their participation in our uh, special board meeting. It was very helpful. Superintendent's report, 8.0. Thank you. Um, maybe if you can grab this up there. I will. Uh, just a couple things on, on my report. Uh, uh, really, let's just focus maybe. Yeah, you like that? Um, public relations outreach. Uh, as you know, uh, Napa Valley College was... Um, recognized as the best college, um, two-year college in, Calif in California by the bestcolleges.com. We went to uh, up to the state capitol, and um, Assembly Member Dodd um, presented us with this nice, uh, nice award, which is hanging in the president's office. I'm going to frame this picture as soon as we get that and, and put that next to it. So that was very nice. Like, um, um, cabinet attended. I'm not sure, Oscar, whether you got to go. You went, yes, you didn't? Didn't. Cabinet attended, there were other folks in other pictures that, that will show, but this is a, a good one, so we're very proud about that. Um, subsequently, down below, City of Napa chosen 
among top 30 small cities in the U.S. It, it may feel like a, like a subcontext, but it's all part of this bigger picture we've been talking about. Um, Napa generally and the college generally are um, riding on the tide of this you know, overarching, great, worldwide brand. And that benefits us all, benefits the college in terms of just sheer outreach. Um, every time Napa hits the, hits the news like this, it increases our possibilities for collaboration or donations or um, larger people coming, coming to the college and working with the college. So it's, it's a very nice uh, combination, um, just of note. And that was the picture that they, that they published there down at Memorial uh, Memorial Stadium, Memorial Park. What's that college, guys? Veterans Memorial, Veterans Park. Memorial Park. Thank you. New College, just FYI, is the last piece, 113. Should say State Center District down below, says so State Senate. But um, Clovis Community College is in the system now, so we have to remember there's 113 now um, versus the 112 there used to be. Board Planning Workshop, um, we uh, attended, and that's there for folks to look. Campus Master Planning, we did today. Educational master plan update, um, not too much on that either. Um, a, a little blurb on negotiations, just saying it's um, you know, moving along um, nicely with administrative confidential. And Flex Day I wanted to put on there, um, I, I thought from our vantage point too, was um, well attended by faculty, staff, and students. Um, a lot of good comments today. I appreciate Michael coming out early this morning and representing, um, and, and um, all that's good. Um, I would like to um, go to my, the second part of my report and, and ask um, um, Bill Hardy from the foundation if you'd care to talk now. And um, if you can do that, Bill, that'd be good. And then you can, you know, go for a late dinner somewhere. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I'll talk anytime. But the, uh, uh, yeah, the found, on behalf of the foundation, congratulations to you all uh, for this uh, wonderful recognition the, uh, I think uh, Dr. Kraft and, and uh, Dr. Junia and, and all the members of the staff, and especially you members of the Board of Trustees, deserve a lot of all the credit for this. This is a, a wonderful thing. In, uh, in aid of that, the, the foundation purchased and, 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 uh, and publicized an ad in the register, which you may have seen, uh, recognizing this award. We think that part of our job is uh, doing outreach and public relations on behalf of the school. And... and uh, letting people know that it's a great school and that, that it's worth supporting. We, uh, we think that that's both part of our mission and also part of what help makes our mission possible because the more people are predisposed in favor of the school, the more likely they are to, be, to, be, to contribute to, for its benefit. We uh, finished the fiscal year in the black, and, uh, and we handed out about a half, almost a half a million dollars in, in aid to students and to the college, uh, and as you know, many of the designations of the, of the scholarship awards go directly to the college as, as payment for fees and, and, uh, and uh, other items in, on, that are owed to the college. The, uh, we also added about a million dollars to our endowment during the year, and uh, it's now only about 30 or $40 million short of where we think it should be, but uh, we're working on that. So uh, uh, it's been a good year for us. It's been uh, a little frustrating because we've had initiatives that we would like to have done more uh, completely, 
but lacked staff. And uh, Alyssa has done a wonderful job. Is uh, is you know stretched thin because she has a lot. Most of her duties are with the school, and uh, uh, and she gives us a, a lot of time and, and help. But uh, we really need more more help, and and we're trying to work that work that out. The uh, we are we are hiring someone to help us part time, and hopefully that'll happen shortly. The uh, we are one of the things we want to initiate is is this alumni outreach, which I think I spoke with a, a few meetings ago. Uh, there's a company in New York that that does uh, alumni outreach through a blogging system. It's kind of complicated, but it seems to have the the, the purpose of it is to is to create an affiliative relationship between the school and the and its alumni. Uh, one of the things that's really lacking, and I think we'll all agree in this in Napa Valley College, is is a vibrant and active alumni association, which is, for most universities of which we all attended, is the primary source of support for the school, for school programs. So we think that anything that we can do that promotes that and makes that possible would be helpful. Also takes a lot of staff, and, and that's something that we will have to address at some point. Uh, the only other item was that we... We continue to organize an informal group to provide support for the VWT program, and uh, that's that's still an ongoing thing. We're going to meet with with a new uh, uh, faculty member, and uh, and we were sort of waiting until the, until the faculty was hired so that we could uh, we could we could make some sense out of the program going forward. Thanks for giving me the time, and if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let, let's just roll to Vice President's report, and, and um, we can. Janine, do you have any um, lead off here for us? Um, sure. I just wanted to um, acknowledge our facilities department. Uh, with the beginning of the school year, um, there is always a lot of hard work to be done. So, under the direction of Matt Christensen, our custodial staff, our grounds crew, and our trades folks have been working very hard and long days to get the school looking as nice as it is in the classrooms and doing some extra special painting for us um, and installing cabinets and and um, lots of good things. So I just wanted to acknowledge our crew in that area who work um, who have been working very hard the last the last month and over the summer as a whole. So that's all I have. Oscar? I have a short report about what I've done. In, in the interest of time, I've, I've written out uh, my, my notes, and I'll just share just a couple of the items that are, that are on, this, uh, on, on the summary. One is that uh, we received notice about three weeks ago that Napa Valley College has been awarded a new Student Support Services grant. It's an award of uh, totally $1.4 million over a five-year period. Uh, so, and, and it's very timely because our current SSS grant, TRIO grant, uh, ends this year. So uh, we're very fortunate that we were able to, to make the, uh, the, the cut for the funding. I um, also want to let you know that, that the transfer day, uh, which is the day that we have the colleges and universities here for our students and for the community, it will be held on um, September 9th. It's a Wednesday. It will be held here in, in the LLRC Plaza from 9.30 to uh, 1 o'clock. We're expecting uh, over 50 colleges and universities to, to be here to share their information uh, uh, to our students and to our community. And also we're bringing back, um, after about two years' absence, the MVC Job Fair. Uh, this is uh, it's a job fair 
that would be held on October the 14th, which is a Wednesday, from 10 to 2, again on the, on the LRC Plaza. And we're expecting the, the participation of 70 or more employers and agencies. Uh, and it's a collaborative effort between, between a career center at the college as well as our, as our NBC Economic Workforce De- De- Development uh, Office. And we're working very closely on this project with American Canyon Family Center and Spark Point through Dr. Sherry T- Tennyson. She's been a great help. So those are just a few of the items I wanted to share with you. Uh, the rest you can take with you. And if, if you have any questions, then give me a call. Thank you. Thank you. Terry? Thank you. Um, I actually have a number of things I'd like to mention. Um, first of all, Instructional Excellence, Excellence Day, as has already been mentioned, um, uh, and it, it so far I think is going very well. Um, I was talking to a, a few of the board members at the reception that we had earlier, but I wanted to pass that on, that, that the emphasis of this uh, um, Instructional Excellence Day is uh, assessment. And um, this is a conversation, actually, that has been going on for quite a while in regard to where the college is, in regard to our progress in assessment. And we had talked about how to find time, basically, to have the conversations that we need to have in using assessment data um, to help uh, improve student success and student learning. And so that's really what these two days are about. And so there is a lot of catch-up work that's happening um, giving faculty, and, and it's not just faculty, it's giving all departments um, time to uh, talk about their data, enter, enter their data, and to track that um, so that those conversations can um, be about more data as opposed to uh, smaller amounts. Um, and then also allowing uh, department and division meetings to have the conversations that need to happen, the sort of conversation that was referred to earlier when you were in closed session. Um, that, that's exactly the sort of thing that we want to both help improve student learning but also to help our processes. And so um, I'm quite encouraged that, um, that some of that will happen, and obviously it's something that we'll continue to work on during the year. Um, Enrollment management, uh, a couple of things about that I wanted to say. Um, first of all, uh, the three VPs, uh, Oscar, Janine, and myself all went to a conference at College of um, uh, San Mateo uh, last week. Uh, it was a two-day conference that was sponsored by both the Chancellor's Office and uh, ACA. Um, and it was a very good workshop, both from the standpoint of information that we learned but also the opportunity for the three of us to get away from other distractions to talk about enrollment management and what sorts of things we should be looking at at this college. Um, and so there will be more to come from that that you'll hear about. Um, one of the things that you, you will see is um, uh, an enrollment management committee. There's actually an enrollment management committee on the books. Uh, it's in the Senate bylaws. Um, and so it will be re- very easy to reactivate, um, but, it, but it basically has not been active for a while, and it, and it really is something that needs to occur. And so you'll be hearing more about that. Um, and so one of the things I'm going to talk to you about is enrollments, but before I do that, I'll save that to um, last. The other thing that I, I did want to mention um, is that uh, through instructional equipment money and the hard work of our IT department, as long as with media services, um, the, the last part of this week and this weekend, 10 classrooms are, the technology in 10 classrooms are being upgraded. Um, they'll be ready 
Oh, is it now less than 10? Um, and, and, yeah, okay, so, so there are some difficulties in getting those, and so some are being cut off the list. But, but anyway, the point is that um, we bought the technology, and it's being installed um, these last couple of days so that um, when faculty walk into those classrooms, there will be um, much improved technology for them to use. Um, and, and then um, Oscar didn't mention, he mentioned it today, so if you were at the, uh, the morning flex, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Student Services um, with their efforts and using SSSP funds. Um, uh, three things have actually happened that Oscar got really good uh, applause for. Number one is it, uh, w- that, that faculty now can do drops online, um, and so they don't have to submit drop cards to um, admissions and records manually. They will be able to do it online. Um, they are all very happy about that. Um, Census certification, which Oscar didn't go into any detail, and so I have to talk to faculty about that, what that actually means, but, but we will be able to certify census, which is really good for us from the standpoint of uh, doing our 320 report and things of that nature, because it will allow us to verify that the students that are on the roll are actually supposed to be on the roll. And then the last one that um, wasn't mentioned, and it doesn't affect all faculty, but um, the submission of positive attendance hours is also now online. And so when faculty who teach a positive attendance course submit their grades for that course on the same screen, they will also submit their positive attendance hours. So it will be one function that happens at the same time. And believe me, the vice president of instruction is happier about that than anyone at this college because us chasing those rosters is, is, has been a nightmare. And so um, I'm very excited about that. And, and I think faculty will appreciate it as well because it will, it will make it much easier. And so I, I thank Oscar and his group for making those things happen. Um, the last thing I want to talk to you about uh, is enrollments. So you can say I saved the best for last, but it's probably not the, all the good news. Um, the enrollment management piece obviously walks into that. Um, and so our enrollments for this fall are... Um, not great. I'll say they're a little flat. Um, that's not unique to Napa Valley College, and so it's actually a trend that's happening up and down the state. Um, and obviously, one of the reasons is because the economy's good and people are going back to work, and that has an impact on community college enrollment. Um, we, we also, to a certain extent, are isolated, and so when people go back to work and we're trying to get students into classes, um, it, it's a little bit more difficult because of our location and because many of our students, has been mentioned before, are, are coming from outside the valley. Um, and so they have to fight traffic um, either on Highway 29 or uh, uh, James Canyon Road to get here. Um, and and so, so those are some of the, the factors that are um, affecting us. As of this morning, um, our classes were, were filled to the 69% um, fill rate. Um, that's about 5% below where we were at the same time last fall. Um, and uh, the number of students in classes is at uh, 5,600, which is about 2.83% below what we saw last fall. So fewer students, so obviously fewer enrollments. But the enrollments is a larger number than the student loss because some students are coming, but they're taking fewer classes because they probably have jobs and, and thus don't have as much time. Um, and, and then our number of sections, though, are actually up by almost 3%. We have canceled um, a number of sections. 
um, be, because of low enrollment numbers, um, and, um, but we're still almost 3% higher than what we had uh, last fall. And so that you know, indicates some of the difficulties that we're having in, um, in attracting students. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of information on some of the things that are happening um, to help this. Um, we, we, ha- we, and when I say we, I'm, I'm being, you know, inclusive. Uh, a lot of work has been coming out of uh, Lissa's office as well as out of missions and records. And so Lissa and Jessica Milliken have been working a lot, uh, sending out email blasts to targeted groups of students. Um, uh, to try to get them to uh, enroll, we had a a, a robo phone call, um, w- which basically is an automated phone call that went out to all our waitlisted students, um, encouraging them to look at other options besides the class that they were getting into. They obviously still have the opportunity of getting into that class, but but if you're ten on a waitlist, your chances of getting into that class are not as good. And so we were encouraging them to talk to their counselors and look at other opportunities. Um, so there's a number of things like that that are ongoing, and, and I believe in Liz's report you'll actually see uh, more of the, the outreach sorts of things that we're doing to try to improve that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to touch on is our, our waitlist numbers actually are higher this semester um, probably than they've been before, although I, I really can't tell you that with um, uh, any confidence because uh, the college has not tracked its wait list. So I don't have numbers from fall 14 to be able to show you what the wait lists were at this point. Um, uh, as of this morning, the number of students on the wait list was at eight, 808. Um, and so um, I, I have a predictive model that basically says at the rate that we're going that we would expect to be at about 70, maybe 71%. Um, by Monday, um, and that still is lower than we really need to be. Um, a couple of things that we're looking at in regard to the wait list is that I'll be working with Instruction Council um, to, to look into the possibility of, of having some late start classes that could address some of those wait lists. Um, one of the difficulties with that is that um, a significant number of those wait lists are in English, math, and the sciences, and our roadblock, basically, our bottleneck in all of those areas are finding qualified faculty to teach. And so that's why, in fact, um, you, you approve the hire of, a, of a, a full-time leave replacement chemistry instructor is to try to address that, as well as a math instructor. And we just had a brand-new hire in English to help try to alleviate some of that. Um, obviously, those people are all in our schedule, and so it hasn't solved the problem completely. And so... Um, part of me working with um, our new dean of instruction and the division chairs and deans will be trying to find um, qualified instructors to be able to add some late start classes. Um, so I, I did not give to you uh, a handout, basically, that you could look at our numbers in regard to what does this mean for the year. Um, I, you know, I, I have numbers on that that I'm predicting, but I'm, I don't really want to share those yet until they're a little more solid um, because it's still... Uh, uh, the week before classes start. And so those numbers will be more meaningful um, when we're getting near the end of the first week and definitely by the end of the late ad period, which is the end of the second week. Um, when I will, So basically at my next board meeting, I'll be able to give you an update to show you what that means in regard to us meeting our FTS goals for the year. Um, if there's any questions, I'll, I'll gladly answer those. A question and a statement. Uh, first, I was, as a student, I was 
sent an email saying, uh, as a reminder, that I had not signed up for anything. That, that, that was one of the targets, is that we looked at, we, we were looking at students that had uh, a, a certain low number of uh, units that they were signed up for, and so those students received emails encouraging them to sign up for another class. Um, and then we also sent out emails to students who were registered for spring and had not yet registered for fall, encouraging them to come back and sign up because um, there are seats available in a number of our classes. I'll see what I could do. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> and the, uh, the question, what's um, the go-no-go number on a, on a class, typical section that you offer? Well, the, 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 the standard number that we go for is 15 um, and and um, and so the idea is that if a class is at twelve this week, uh, we'll we we will carry it over to the first week with the in, uh, intention of getting fifteen. Um, if you remember, in the spring um, we were chasing FTS, and so in the spring we actually um, uh, deviated from that number, and we allowed classes to go with lower num- uh, with a lower number. Um, that was with our intent of re- reaching base and restoration, which we achieved last year. Um, it, it, it had costs that was associated with that. Um, and, and so that's one of the conversations that Cabinet will be having this week is about um, how much cost we want for chasing enrollments um, th- th- for this fall as well as for the spring. Um, that's not a practice that we can continue forever because um, if we spend the kind of money we spent last year to generate our FTS um, for a couple more years, um, we, 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 and I'll, I'll use we again, rather than saying the vice president instruction, will um, bankrupt this college. And I, I don't think you want me to do that. Um, and, and so, um, so, but when we say 15, there, there are circumstances that a class might still go. And so, um, um, as we've been uh, um, making decisions about classes, we're, we're looking at the impact that that has on students. And, and so if it's the only section of a class that's very important for student completion, then we would let that class go with a lower number than 15. Um, probably not with three. But, um, but if it's double digit, then we, we, would, we would probably consider that because of the importance of that class for those students to complete. Um, and and so, so, I mean, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I mean, there, there are quite a few of those type classes that actually exist. And so, you, I mean, if you're looking at our enrollment reports um, at the end of the first week, you will probably see quite a number of classes that are below that 15 number because of various circumstances. The other thing that affects it is the size of the class so, or, or the, the facilities of the class or the restrictions of the class. And so, for example, in the associate degree nursing program, there are a number of the clinical classes that are going to be less than 15 because um, they're, they're, the Board of Registered Nursing has restrictions on the number of students that can be in that. So there are various reasons why we would have classes with smaller enrollments than 15. Thank you very much. I have a question. So you mentioned enrollments down, but sections were up and you moved on. So can you <laughs> explain to me what that is? So, so when we, um, as we were going through last year and uh, working hard to achieve base plus restoration, uh, we then were planning for this year with the same intent of reaching what is now our new base because what we achieved in restoration is added to our base. And so we have a higher base this year than we had last year. 
So we built a larger fall schedule this year um, with the intent of being able to continue to reach the enrollment numbers that we needed to achieve base that our new base. Um, and and so, um, but but what we have found based on the number of students that are knocking at our door um, that we built we we overbuilt our schedule. And so um, so even though we have had to cancel some classes, we still have more classes being offered this semester than we had in fall of 14. Good evening. Um, the faculty co-chair for accreditation, Eric Shear, sends his regrets as he was unable to attend the meeting tonight. I think he um, is at a high school parent orientation, which is <laughs> amazing. Um, let's see. I'm happy to announce that the materials in support of our accreditation review and upcoming site visit were mailed out to the members of our external evaluation team in late July. That was done in compliance with the ACCJC requirements that the self-evaluation report and all associated documentation or evidence be sent out on a USB drive to all team members at least 60 days before the scheduled site visit. We also sent those materials as well as a hard copy of the report to the ACCJC so we are now within 60 days of the site visit, and by my count, we are at approximately T minus 46. As indicated in the message that I sent out to the campus community earlier this month, and hopefully that you received, um, approximately 1,450 pieces of evidence accompanied our report. And I should note, however, that those were not necessarily unique pieces of evidence in that some sources, such as the college catalog, the curriculum handbook, and program evaluation and planning forms, as well as other documents describing our practices, were cited multiple times across the self-evaluation report. Uh, I believe that our report was evidence-heavy, as it should be. The membership of the external team that has been assigned to visit MVC has been adjusted slightly over the past few weeks, and we are awaiting the final confirmation regarding the team composition. As the team is finalized and the date of the site visit approaches, we will be sharing information about the team composition with the campus community so that faculty, staff, and students can recognize the team members and help direct them wherever they need to go during their time on campus. As you are aware, this has been a communal effort, and throughout the course of the self-evaluation process, Eric and I have thanked the writing team members. In the final stages of getting the materials out to the visiting team members and the ACCJC, there were a few additional staff members that joined in on the fun, and I would like to recognize them along with the writing team members. Uh, so first is Scott Allen, who is our new marketing and communication specialist, and Scott formatted the final report and integrated photos and graphics into it. Um, so basically the final look and feel of the, of the report are due to Scott's work. I would also like to thank Rippy staff members Amira Donnelly and Chris Farmer. As you might be aware, this marks the first accreditation cycle for MVC in which we were required to provide documented evidence in support of our report prior to the arrival of the external evaluation team. And I can assure you that this difference between past and current accreditation cycles is not a trivial one. All of the evidence was carefully coded and in many cases annotated to help guide readers to the most important or relevant portions of the documents to make the team's review of our report and associated evidence as easy and seamless as possible. 
Amira and Chris helped organize the evidence, copy all of the materials onto 16 USB drives, and package up all of the materials. And I simply would not have been able to get through the final push at the end of July without all of their help. So if you see Chris and Amira, please thank them. Uh, we are in the process of arranging for the pre-visit in which the team chair will come to the college to coordinate with Ron and my office in preparation for the comprehensive site visit. That visit will likely occur toward the end of, Jul- end of August. Sorry, um, The site visit is scheduled, just a reminder, for Monday, September 28th through uh, o- Thursday, October 1st, with the ex- exit report likely scheduled for late morning or noon on Thursday, October 1st. And we will continue to keep you, as well as the campus community, apprised of the details of that. And that includes sharing the supplemental update to the self-evaluation report, which we will be drafting between now and the end of September. The complete color version of the self-evaluation report has been posted on the college website. And my office has been distributing hard black and white copies of the report among writing team members this week. Since the complete report is available on the website, We created a limited number of hard copies of the report. And in addition to writing team members, a few individuals in key leadership roles and key leadership positions have received hard copies of the report, and that includes the Board of Trustees, as well as faculty co-chairs of some campus and academic senate committees. Um, To be physically responsible, we did not run any extra copies of the report. So the idea is that individuals in these key leadership roles, including yours, We'll pass their copies on to those that follow. And that is all that I have for you tonight, but I now get the pleasure of delivering a copy of the report to each of you, and then I'm happy to answer any questions. It's like Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Robin, did you... uh, Did you mail hard copies of the catalog. Did you have to do that? Because the one most recent one I uh, had, they sent me a 40-pound package. I mean, I got the USB thing, but uh, the the catalog and the schedule. Yeah, so so the, um, the packets included... Um, you're, you're required, well, let's see. You are asked to, if you have a hard copy form of the schedules or, or and the catalog, you're asked to do that. So since we did have those in hard copy form, we did include those. I think the packets, uh, for all of the team members included a cover letter, um, the, both the spring 2015 and the fall 2015 schedules, um, our 1415 catalog and the USB drive that was bubble wrapped to protect it. <laughs> Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Any questions or are we? No questions. All right. Yeah, do you have a list of the uh, team? Uh, we, we do, but um, I actually um, am hoping to get in touch with Jack Pond tomorrow because there's been a little movement, like I mentioned. Um, we, we started at 15. We went. We're, we currently are at 13. Um, there, there have been some changes in um, both the positions of some of the individuals, their, their um, institutional affiliation, and we're working to see if um, any of the members that we've lost will be replaced and what the process is. But Jack's been out on vacation, so um, he's expected to Who's return. Who's the tomorrow. chair? Uh, Dr. Willard Llewellyn from Hartnell. Hartnell. Thank you. 
Strategic Communications, Lissa. Okay, so uh, it's been a while since I've been before you as a group. Um, it's nice to see you, and um, the school year is kicking off, and it's really great to see some new faces here, or the, the backs of people's heads, um, as usually my view here. Um, I'm going to um, give you a little bit of a different report tonight, um, and we're going to start out with a little bit of a, um, a movie promo, basically. Get a jump start on your college degree or finish the degree. Let's see if the image comes up. Worked earlier, Charlie. There you go. So, who's been to the movies this summer? Movies? Raise your hand high. Okay, you're moviegoers. Did you go to the Cinemark? Do you live in Napa? You probably went to the movies because sometimes that's the only thing to do. So, we know that a lot of people, particularly young people, the demographic that we're appealing to. Get a jump start on your college degree or finish the degree you started. Napa Valley College has oh. the classes you need online and hybrid courses, along with multiple. Well, it's thinking about it. Well, when you have this experience in the Cinemark, it is quite different because it's on the big screen, and it's all Napa Valley College, and it's a 15-second spot, but they've been running continuously since the middle of May, um, promoting summer and fall. Um, at the end of next week, they will promote um, fall, late start, and spring. Um, but this is a year-round contract that we have, and it is a very efficient and cost-effective way for us to reach a demographic we know um, is interested in attending Napa Valley College. So for some reason, it's thinking about it. Okay, let's try it one more time, and then we'll give up on it. There you go. Get a jump start on your college degree or finish the degree you started. Napa Valley College has the classes you need, online and hybrid courses, along with multiple start dates and session lengths. Your future awaits you at Napa Valley College. So there's some familiar faces there. Um, the other materials that we have been using uh, to promote um, summer and fall, um, because it really is um, a, a long-term cultivation that we are after um, in terms of looking at a student base, and the many different platforms um, that we have available to us to reach those constituencies. Um, the money that we spend on advertising is geared towards enrollment, meaning who are our prospective students and also continuing students. Um, the platforms for continuing students are a little bit different, obviously, or returning students have been here because we have a way of communicating with them. Um, and as I move through my report, um, you'll see some of the things that we've been using. So the new opportunities, new relationships start here. Who's been behind a bus in Napa County? There you go. Yeah, we all have on some level. Whether you're going to and from um, Solano County on Jamison Canyon Road or going up and down Valley on Highway 29 or if you're going to Sonoma, um, this has been on the back of the bus. So that image there, that particular campaign, this was also posted and boosted, meaning sponsored, um, and we can control who it goes to geographically on Facebook, meaning I can actually reach a larger audience um, and viewers because um, it is not restricted simply to the distribution within um, one uh, particular county. Um, but that was also on Facebook starting in March, April, May, June, and July. And then we switched a little bit because we had the abridged class schedule that came out, and that was mailed directly. And this is the largest mailing that we've ever done. Um, 43,000 copies were mailed directly to all residential 
customers in Napa County, so up and down the valley. We also included portions of Sonoma County because our district does have a little sliver, and so some of these also went over to Sonoma. Um, These hit mailboxes, um, depending on your mail carrier, um, at the end of May or the first week in June. Um, And right about that time was when high schools were getting out. They were also distributed at some of the high school graduation or the scholarship ceremonies, all of which I personally attended and spoke and had direct conversations. Um, If you are um, another major demographic, which we have here um, as a prospective student, um, and you are bilingual or you're first generation, um, one of your sources for information is La Voz, which is a um, bilingual publication that comes out of Santa Rosa, and it's distributed 60,000, it's monthly, and it goes to um, Lake County, Mendocino, Sonoma, Napa, quite extensive. They also do um, daily and weekly Facebook postings. So if you are advertising, they also Facebook boost those, um, and it gets out there. So we've been running half-page ads. We shifted it a little bit. The one that you're seeing down there is the one that ran uh, starting in July because that's when we had the best colleges recognition as the best two-year college in California. So we could advertise that as such. So that version of that ad continues to run and will continue to run year-round with slight variations from it. So moving along, other show-and-tell things. About the same time that um, those class schedules hit people's mailboxes, we had um, Facebook posting ads, mass emailing through our friends of NBC List, which is about 4,500 people we know who want to hear from us, Um, sandwich board signs, media release around our early registration and orientation session, which was um, led by um, Oscar's staff, or I shouldn't say Oscar's staff, but staff in Oscar's area in counseling. Um, And I think that resulted in about uh, 250 um, students being registered for fall classes. Probably some also took summer classes because this summer we offered a huge number of summer classes, the first in a very long time. Um, We were at the 4th of July parade. It was quite warm, and we handed out 500 of these little flyers here on the bottom, be a smarty, you know, and we were advertising. This is a different kind of cultivation, which is also a very, very low-cost way. Um, Smarties are cheap, um, though we know smarts are expensive sometimes. Um, But Smarties are the candies, very, very easy to do these little flyers um, and hand them directly to people and say, hey, think about going to Napa Valley College. Um, And the um, statistics for our graduation completion rate, you know, how many awards of degrees and certificates in May of 2015. And the valedictorians also rode in the convertible with Ron, um, donated by, and we didn't get to keep it, and Mark Craddy did a really good job driving it once again this year, um, Ford, um, a Mustang um, from Napa Ford. But this kind of thing, it actually works in the long run in terms of getting people to see Napa Valley College. So as our staff capacity allows on a holiday people being there and engaging with the community that way. Dia de la Familia was another event um, that is the second year that we participated in. Um, 1,500 people attended that, um, largely Spanish-speaking, first generation, looking to get information about educational opportunity. So those kinds of activities are coordinated with my office, student services, and other areas of the campus. Um, There are the movies, uh, things. 
some half-page ads. Um, Bill Hardy talked a little bit about the one that the foundation paid for, but that my office produced. We then boosted them on Facebook, Twitter, mass emailings. This is sort of what they look like. It's a good example of um, a Facebook post. All right, so it's boosted to an area, reached um, in a seven-day period, cost $200. In a seven-day period, it had 25,000 views. Okay, ranging across Napa County into Solano, into the East Bay, into um, Sonoma County, Marin. I can pick, I think I even, well, I can also do boosted posts um, for certain programs that I um, now have administrative rights for, and I can push VWT classes to people in Palo Alto, people in San Jose. So Facebook is a very effective tool that way, and we get really great responses. And you can see, in part, by the number of shares and also not just the number of likes because it's really easy to say, oh, yeah, I like that. Um, but if you aren't already following, and I know who isn't and who is following the Facebook page for the institution, if you are not following us, I strongly encourage you to do so because I think that you might find that you'll get great information. I think Chris shared with you it's a really, really effective way of reaching people quickly um, with a high standard of uh, quality and aesthetic. So um, we get metric reports about how many views in, in roughly what areas. I know that you have interest in who's looking at our website. I can tell you more who's looking at our Facebook feed. The institution here, we're not a social media company, so our IT model is not structured around um, looking at deep data on exactly who's looking at our website. But I can learn a lot from who is looking at our Facebook page. Twitter doesn't have the same kind of equivalent metrics, but I look at these daily, and it influences what I'm going to post. If I get from the Office of Instruction or an individual instructor for a class saying, enrollment is low, can you help me? So there's several things that I can do using our homepage on our website, but also in linking hot topics and news, but also I can do a boosted post on Facebook. So foreign languages, I see enrollment is low. Okay, let's do a, a post, a boosted post for Facebook, um, on Facebook for foreign, studying foreign languages. All right. Now, to cultivate a following around that, you can't just be enroll in a foreign language. It's got to be something interesting, appealing, graphically, okay? The world can be your oyster study of foreign language. All right. And sadly, I can't get big enough uh, for you to see how many <laughs> figures are there. But the um, examples that you see there, um, the one on the left, is for a VWT advanced winemaking class. And then again, a similar um, post um, in the bottom left there on Twitter. So Facebook followers, right now we have 2,266 followers. And... Um, Twitter followers, we have um, 389. And on uh, Facebook for VWT, we have 650. Now, why is VWT important? Well, VWT is important not singularly because of the instructional program, but because people know to look for Napa on information about wine and viticulture. So if they find Napa Valley College because they're looking at wine, great. We offer so much more than just a viticulture and winery technology program. There's a lot of cross-pollination um, that goes on there, and we utilize that in our communication strategies. So those are some samples. We also have an Instagram feed. 
That is much more about images and images that, you know, an image capsules um, a thousand words, and we're building that over time. Um, three years ago, um, uh, three and a half years ago when I started, um, our Facebook following, well, the college actually didn't have a Facebook page, um, and the foundation did, um, converted that to the institutional page and went from 125 followers to now 2,260. Um, so it's growing, and it grows probably about mm, 50 followers a week at this point, the rate, because it's beginning to get momentum and the base that you then go from. Instagram's the same kind of thing. We have um, about 600 uh, actually, a little bit fewer than that. Followers um, now on face on Instagram, and it will continue to grow because it is that viral kind of feed. Um, in your on your packets there on your desk, I left you some things. The Napa County Office of Education's Back to School Supplement was in today's register. If you go to the end, because you know we're college, and after you go to elementary school, middle school, and high school, um, or a county school. Um, an alternative school, you get to college. Um, and there is information. Um, it includes our best college logo on the bottom. Most of this content was developed in June and July. Um, so by that point, it was a little bit late for us to change it when we got that recognition. But I'm very happy to include faculty in that because a lot of what makes our school great is our faculty. And so highlighting them and um, giving them a little bit of shout-outs um, other things that we do year-round um, that are coordinated through the outreach committee that is chaired by Oscar DeHaro um, relates to tablings um, that involve the Office of Financial Aid. Um, it also um, connects to EWD and SBDC, the youth summer youth programs we've had. We've had a lot going on. There's been a lot of exposure. There's been more marketing and outreach to the general public and prospective students on this campus this summer and a bit of the late spring for enrollment for summer and fall than at least in five years. Now, we have to continue to rebuild it, but we have plans for that, and we've been working steadily on it. Part of it is building the capacity on the platforms of communication. So identify audiences, what we want them to know, and then what are the ways that we have to reach them in a cost-effective, efficient way. Um, our direct communications with returning and continuing students, um, I am the voice of the robocall, at least. You know, there's, there's that, um, that it's actual. And you can call back, and you can either talk to someone at um, admissions and records at 7201, or I get phone calls on my direct line. And I returned about 15 of those, actually, um, because the calls went out on Saturday morning at 9, I'm saying, hey, you're on a wait list. We want you to know that you're still on the wait list, but we're doing our best to accommodate you. Please consider another class. Um, The email, Mr. Baldini, that you got, um, and that I also got, is I took a class in the spring, but I haven't registered for a class this fall. So please consider taking a class. Um, One of the things that I've noticed in um, administering the scholarship payments um, that come out of my office because they're paid for by foundation funds, this is the first year in the four years that I have done that, that we have um, as many issues with students who receive scholarships who are not meeting the donor designation enrollment number, meaning they're supposed to have 12 units. Many students, some of our most competent 
students are not taking full loads in part because they have opportunities to work right now because they're also really good employees. So what's that mean to us? Terry and I talk about it all the time. (laughs) What do we need to do to address changing student needs because of changing economies um, and changing environments that students are dealing with? Um, It is not something that's solved overnight. So this was the snapshot of the flow of work that we do for, okay, here are campus tours, here, is our, here are our outreach and college and career fairs to campuses that are happening April, May, June, July, August, September. This is when we have staff to do certain things, but not other. Here's our peach jar bilingual communications to um, NVUSD students and family, reminding them about summer and fall. But, of course, we don't do that, and that's the bottom line there. We don't do that in June, July, and August because those um, schools are not in session, and those lists are in flux, partly. And students are not paying attention to those things as much because they're on summer break, and we know that as a behavior pattern. So we also look at, and this is kind of more general planning, identified audiences, key message, and platform messaging. What do we want them to know, and how are we going to reach them? And um, who, who do we want to talk to? So those are all things that go into creating the materials uh, that you have. At this point... We are planning for equivalents for spring. And as I said, the Cinemark ad's a good example. That's what ran during the summer for summer and fall. But as of the end of this week, we'll shift to late start classes. And probably one of the ways that we'll start looking at and communicating with those students on the wait lists is what do we have to offer in terms of late start classes? And what might you take in the spring? So start thinking about those things now. So... um, That's it in terms of marketing um, and outreach related to enrollment. I do want to point out a couple things to you about events because that's a whole other thing that's going on and we're getting really busy with that. And that's often my usual report about website and what's going on on campus and in the community. Um, On September 24th, we are doing an industry meet and greet with Paul Gospodarsik at Hope and Grace Wines in Yountville. And that's an opportunity for people in the wine industry, to connect with him in their space, um, sort of mid-valley. And um, we'll probably have a few more of those. Um, It's really nice to see Brian here tonight. Um, Brian and I developed the post-harvest networking event, the Napa General Store, a couple years ago. We're probably going to try to do that again. But give people in the community opportunities to connect with our faculty. Want to do the same in child and family studies, you know, want to do the same in welding, particularly the career um, technology education sectors. It's really important that we do that and that people have the opportunity to connect. So you're going to be getting communications from me like that. Please attend if you can because it's an opportunity for you, too, to meet with some of our alum because a lot of people, it ends up being like an alumni event. On September 25th, the Storm Classic Golf Fun event. We've been doing tournaments um, and um, we, uh, it, it's hard to do um, a, a golf tournament when most of the people who um, are, are students, parents of students, are not in the position to take a full day off on a Friday during the work week and may not necessarily have the funds to play in a golf tournament or they don't play golf. Um, so we're modifying this a little bit, and it's a little bit more of a social event. It is around golf. Um, Raphael's looking at me like, come on. Um, there'll be lots of prizes. 
Um, and it will be fun. It's at Chardonnay again, and I hope that you're able to attend. It's also more affordable than previous um, fundraising events for our athletic teams. But that is essential money that our teams need in order to compete and go out on the road. So please consider coming, and please share that with your friends. Um, Chancellor Harris, um, his office called me um, not yesterday, but the day before, to let me know that he has um, scheduled um, a time to come and speak with us and do a community event on October 21st, and we're going to have to reschedule that because he has um, a travel um, commitment that he can't. He's very, very apologetic about it, and we're I'm working with our pack to try to find the right um, date that works for him and for us. So I'll keep you posted on that. And then last but not least, we have NBC Night with the Vallejo Admirals. And um, this is just a really fun social event that we're doing, um, meaning it's an opportunity for us to get together um, with our own money. Um, I am going to buy tickets in bulk. You can reimburse me, but it would be great to see as many people from across the campus at that. It will be lots of fun. If you like baseball, and I know there's so many people at this campus who like baseball, come and see some minor league professional baseball. It's pretty fun. And it's um, going to feature uh, one of our students singing the national anthem. And it may, it may feature one of you trustees throwing out the first pitch. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to get a student to do that. But if I can't quite, I may be coming back to you. So if you're interested, please let Carolee or Karen know. Um, I need to get a body count um, by Monday at the very latest. What so, date is that? Uh, it's August 22nd. It's a Saturday night. 5 p.m., and then they're showing um, The Sandlot, the movie, afterwards. Kids 10 and under are free, $7.50. It's a pretty good time, I'd say. And it's summer's, you know, it's not over yet. Summer's last hurrah. And they're playing against Sonoma. So we we really want to beat them. Any questions? I just gave you a lot of information. I know you've missed me so much because I haven't been here for the last two meetings. I've had some family, um, I've had uh, death, death, two deaths in my family, so I ha- it's, it's been focused on spending time with my family. Though I, you know, you are my other family, so I'm, I'm back here. Any questions? I'll be at the Admiral's game, but I won't need a ticket. That's right. Well, maybe you can sit with us if we let you. <laughs> August 22nd. 22nd. And tickets you know, are cheap, you, right? Tickets are cheap, and kids 10 and under are free. So definitely bring some kids. I know I'm bringing mine. I know Amira's bringing her daughter. Um, you know, Chris, you can bring your kid to be the in progress. Yeah, the work in progress. No questions? Or carpool? You can, a bus? Yeah. Man. Quick question, raise of hands. How many people received... Um, in their mail, the schedule of classes at their home. Great. That's contingent upon the, um, you know, your mail carrier. So if, you're ma- if you didn't get one, your mail carrier may not be delivering all your mail. It is bulk mailed. And um, there have been some problems in the Napa Post Office because of that. But it, it's definitely out there. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, 9.0, approval of minutes. 9.1, July 9th, 2015. Gabriel, do you want to make a motion? My motion to uh, approve the minutes. 
as they are. Is there a second? Second. So, on the question, anybody comment on the minutes? I, I submitted some uh, corrections to my section to Carolee. I wrote you back. I didn't understand what you were asking. For any of them? Or just three? For any of them, or which one? Well, the one where you wanted to change the word allay to address, I understood, but not the other two. Okay, let's see. Let me find the section. It's the board report. Of July 9th? Yeah. find it sorry okay um okay so it was let's see the disparity between the criminal justice program and all the other career tech programs including vwt i guess so what i'm saying is um the concern was the criminal justice versus all the other career tech programs combined the discrepancy there, and it just it, particularly VWT because the students um, were questioning it. But when I saw the budget centers, I was concerned about more the gap between the criminal justice program, you know, the, its budget, and all the other career technical programs combined. Does that make sense? So, if I add and other career tech programs to the statement next to VWT. You know, group them together, or between the career tech, the various career technical programs and the criminal justice program. I don't know. I just was thinking, just between the criminal justice program and the other career technical programs, including VWT. That's that's what I was thinking. It's that hard to correct that way. Is that what was stated at the time? That's what the minutes are about. No. Yeah, it was my board report. You weren't okay. here. Yeah, I, I know it was. Yeah, that was, that it was my report, yeah. And then, um, yeah, because I actually mentioned the dollar amounts, how much went to criminal justice and how much went to all the other career technical programs combined. Um, and then the other one was, um, yeah, that was it. And then changing LA to, oh, the other one was the, the part about Granicus. Did you get that? That, that one completely confused me, so sorry. That's what we discussed after the last meeting about whatever was recorded was should be in the minutes. Which is what I did. Okay. okay with, um... Right, it said, said that I requested that the recording be listened to, but I didn't request that the recording... I, I said that I knew that, that Trustee Baldini voted for Granicus, and he confirmed that, yes, he did vote for Granicus. Well, you suggested we look, okay. listen to it, so which do, is a request. <laughs> okay, so you and you did, and I correct. And did he vote for it? He did not the first time. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. With those notations noted, um, all in favor of approving the minutes of July 9th, please signify by saying aye. 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 Abstain. And let be noted that I'm. July 9.2, July 23rd, special meeting. Is there a motion? Motion to approve. Second. On the question, anybody want to speak? Okay, all in favor of approving those minutes, signify by saying aye. 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 Aye.
First reading of new or revised board policies, and we're skipping chapter two and going straight on to chapter four library and other instructional services revised since adoption on 7915. In keeping with board policy D1140, college governance, decision making, and responsibilities, these policies were reviewed through the Council of Presidents and, as appropriate, by the Mutual Agreement Committee anticipated that the board will take action on these policies at the August 2015 regular meeting. So, your motion. Move approval. Any questions? All in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay. Consent calendar 11.0. Is there a motion on the consent calendar? I'll move the consent calendar. 11.0 through 11.10. Second. Any question? All in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Okay. On to the enthralling action items. Budget update and financial reports. 12.1.1. Quarterly financial status report. CCFS-311Q for the quarter ending June 30th, 2015. Take it away, Janine. Okay, thank you. Um, you have before you our 311Q for the fourth quarter ended June 30th, 2015. Um, these are the projected actuals um, at this point in time. You can see that our ending fund balance is $4.7 and I'll talk a little bit more about that as part of my budget report in a second. Um, and that represents a, a total of approximately 13% um, as a percentage of the general fund balance uh, in expenditures. Um, that includes the statutory reserve, um, by the way. Um, you can see our annualized FTE, um, and our cash on hand was $6.6 .6 million at that time. Happy to answer any questions. Dr. Hawk, is this the handout you're talking about? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. No, um, the 311Q. It should have been in your. Um, I'm sorry. I don't believe it was a handout. It was just posted. Oh, okay. Yes, that's correct. It was just posted. Okay. I didn't hand that one out. I'm right. sorry. Was it something I said? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> so it wasn't a I'm approval. Second. Second. Any questions? All in favor signify by saying aye. 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 No opposition. It's passed. Board of Trustees self-evaluation. Oh, I was going to give a little budget report. Okay. Go ahead. Is that okay? That's fine. <laughs> okay. What you do have in front of you is um, a copy of an, our estimated adoption budget in summary. And I just wanted to give you a heads up about a couple things and give you the opportunity to weigh in on um, one issue. 
Um, our beginning fund balance, as I just indicated, is $4.7 million. Um, that is higher than anticipated at the tentative budget, um, and it's primarily because we did achieve uh, base plus restoration, and so we've now included that revenue um, in the adoption budget estimate um, for uh, which is built, the, the beginning fund balance for 1516 is built off the ending fund balance for 1415, and so that's where that increase comes from. Um, in general, you can see that our um, uh, income has gone up primarily as a result of the issues we talked about before, increases in the state budget. You can see our expenditures have gone up a bit from uh, where we anticipated being at the tentative budget. These are primarily from increased personnel costs um, and uh, an increase in capital outlay. Um, however, you can see that... Um, our, we are currently budgeting our expenditures about a million dollars less than our expenditures for last year. One of the reasons for that is we have reduced significantly the budget for adjunct faculty and for part-time temporary help. Um, and so one of the uh, this is one of those areas, however, though, that could, could change, and, and I'll talk more about that in a second. Um, we've got our OPEB uh, recommendation um, at 654000 This is less than the 818 in the tentative budget, um, but more than the 254 that we um, actually ended up transferring for 1415. And so um, if the board wants to give us any guidance in regard to um, that, that would be helpful. The budget committee is meeting tomorrow morning. Um, and so we'll be looking at these numbers um, in the context of making decisions for the adoption budget to bring um, to recommend to the president and who recommends it to you. Um, the other piece that changed is the piece in the box um, that says new positions in Stirs Purse Pension Rate Stabilization Reserve. So um, as part of our um, integrated budget and planning process, it was the responsibility of Cabinet to um, go through the staffing requests um, that came out of annual plans and that were prioritized by the area councils um, and use a process through which to rank and prioritize those and then determine funding based on um, the availability of funding um, at this time. And so in that process, Cabinet identified um, about $400,000 worth of positions um, to that are general fund positions um, that's, uh, this is separate from positions that were identified and will be funded from other funds or grants. The other item that you see there is a recommendation um, that I'm going to be bringing Budget Committee tomorrow, and that's to set aside um, three years' worth of STRS and PERS increases um, as, a, as a board-designated reserve. Um, you have a second sheet in front of you that um, indicates how that 1.7 is, is, is built. Um, in terms of increases over the next three years. And this is three years going forward. It's not uh, including 1516. That's already in the budget. So this is 1617, 1718, 1819. And just increases for those years on the employer portion um, will be based on the current rates that have been provided by persons stirs will cost the district about $1.8 million. Um, you can see that's a significant cost escalation. Um, and so my my reason for um, recommending this reserve is so that th these dollars are set aside and um, we aren't having to do any structural changes um, in real time to be able to afford these 
um, ongoing uh, cost escalation. So um, this is a proposal at this time, um, and we'll be talking more about this in the Budget Committee tomorrow, but I also wanted to give the Board an opportunity to weigh in uh, on the topic before we um, brought the adoption budget to you uh, in September. So um, all that being said, and including that reserve at this point, and again, you know, looking for your guidance in that in that regard, um, we do make our statutory reserve, uh, $1.7 million, and we have $272,000 left over. That's about 2.92% over and above the 5% statutory reserve. Um, if you recall, as part of our institutional effectiveness uh, work uh, later in the spring, we identified 9% as a, as a goal level of reserve. Um, this uh, currently puts us just under 8%. Um, and as, as I discussed with you previously, best practice would indicate it should probably be around 12%, which is two months' worth of payroll. Um, so the good news is um, we are, at least in terms of our current approach of the adoption budget, um, we have a, a balanced budget in that our revenues do exceed our expenditures by $268,000. So... Um, but we still have these big items that are in flux, and that's our part-time faculty costs and our uh, part-time temporary costs. And as Dr. Junie was sharing with you earlier, um, our enrollments are down, but our sections are up. And so what does that mean in terms of cost? That translates to higher costs um, and th theoretically less apportionment. However, um, as you're aware, we do have the opportunity for stabilization in the event we don't reach our base uh, apportionment in FTE schools. That gives us three years to, to um, get back to base. So we wouldn't see any immediate revisions this year to any to our funding, regardless of if we um, get to base or not. So, um, but the in increased part-time faculty costs could swing uh, as much as a million dollars or more, um, depending on how. Um, what levels of productivity we ultimately have and what levels uh, we ultimately let courses go in. So obviously this is not um, a, just a financial decision. There's lots of, lots of factors that influence these decisions, but cost um, is just one of them. So let me stop. That was a lot of information. <laughs> Very quick. And it's 9 o'clock, so I apologize for that. But <laughs> just ask you a question. Um, you said that our total income exceeded our expenditures, but are you talking about for the projected budget? Because I'm looking at June 30th of 2015, and, and I'm still learning how to read budgets, to be honest, but it looks like our expenditures were more than our income. That's true for 613, um, but if you look at the last column, what our estimate currently is for the adoption budget, um, it's 267,738. So we did make last year, we reduced, if you recall, um, almost $800,000 out of the budget. We rolled those reductions forward this year in addition to reducing the adjunct um, faculty budget and the part-time temporary budgets in anticipation of building a higher productivity target uh, on the faculty side and reducing the number of temporary staff um, on the classified side. So... Um, However, we have to be able to hold to those numbers in order for these numbers to, to sustain. So, so. so the 630, 15, those are like real numbers. Those and then are the num real numbers as of today, yes. The numbers that you're talking about are more like projected They're, numbers. They are what we would, these numbers are very close to what we'd be bringing to you at your next meeting to adopt for the fifteen sixteen budget. Thank you. Uh, 
so the uh, uh, the retiree, the OBED or OBED or whatever that is, uh, we could reduce the amount we put into that to uh, uh, to offset some of the stirs pers that you're suggesting that's a way to that would be one way to that would be one alternative but you're um you're shortchanging paying for one liability to pay for another I, i'm not judging it one way or another but it's you know half a dozen one or the other but that is an option you could reduce it or um you can reduce it all the way down to zero if you chose because it was the board that initially adopted the 10-year plan um that is driving these transfers so the board could elect to reduce them or or stop them and your recommendation to to do this uh, uh, the 1.7 for the stirs and purrs uh, keeps that level over the next three years. Is that your right? So it gives you a little bit of a cushion. Those are ongoing costs. So this doesn't solve that ongoing, but at least solves it for three years, which gives you enough time to be able to adjust other elements of the budget um, to be able to fund those costs long term. Um, so it, 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 what it does is it prevents you having to take any kind of knee-jerk actions, um, um, you know, as, as you might anticipate they might be. So it just provides a little buffer. Um, and, again, you don't have to set aside the whole. You could set aside all or part. Um, so if we set aside two years uh, and left the OBED where it is. That would be an option, yes. That's another option. Yes. This is uh, uh, an action item to either adopt this or adjust it. This right. is not an action item. I'm just looking for guidance that I can take into budget committee tomorrow morning. Um, so um, what, I, what I didn't want you to have to do is see this for the first time um, at the September meeting when I was asking you to adopt the budget. So I wanted to give you some a little bit of um, opportunity for input and feedback. Why, Joanne, why would you do... Just two years and not the three years. Well, I'm, I'm trying to, to uh, um, to leave, you know, it, it reduces the reserve to do both, to do, to go ahead and put the six plus, plus 650,000 plus in OPED and uh, to do this three years as well. So that, that's all I was trying to do, was to give us a little more cushion by using another uh, another option. I'm sorry. So, what's our reserve if we were to set that money aside? So, your reserve, you'd have the statutory reserve set aside. That's the 1.76 million, and then in addition to that, you'd have 972,000, which is just under three percent additional. So, we've got. She didn't include the five percent. She's handled this. Uh, where the, she includes five percent, which uh, we haven't done before, but that you know that makes sense. So it would be this. This gives us a total of uh, seven point nine two percent reserve. That's that's uh, by doing by doing both, leaving the OPED and uh, and doing the three years for Stirs purse. And again, this would be a board-designated reserve, and you'd have the opportunity at any point in the future to modify the reserve levels as well. Even if you decided to set, a, set it aside in fifteen sixteen, you could elect to make a revision to that at any time. Okay. Then I guess my 
my recommendation would be just to take it to budget as it is, as you've done it. Are you asking for feedback on both issues? Because you also brought up you, that you wanted feedback on the, the reserve. Like you mentioned that right now the current plan is to have it at just 8%, and you talked about how best practice would be 12%. So are you asking for guidance on that as well? I, I think the board could take the opportunity to provide feedback on that as well um, that I can take into budget committee. Um, you know, Ultimately, it's the board's decision in terms of, of these things, but... Um, is that even possible? With, the, I mean, at this well, point, well, it, it's not possible at this point unless we reduced expenditures or um, set aside that reserve. Did not uh, fully fund that reserve. I wouldn't support uh, in, uh, upping it to twelve at this point. I agree with Joanne. I think we should um, try to do, do the reserve, and um, hopefully, in the future, work towards uh, your recommendation on uh, increasing that reserve. But not not at this time. Is there a way to, to kind of express that that's the direction we would like to go? Maybe we're not ready to do that next year, but that that's a goal of the board? No, I, I, I don't. Uh, uh, I, I'm not willing to do that. It's not the culture of this institution to uh, uh, at this point. So I, I would want to make sure that the budget planning were... Um, you know, in concert with that. So, and I tried really hard to get a budget committee meeting this afternoon before the board meeting, but couldn't make it happen. So I, I, I apologize to them and to you for <laughs> the timing being off a little bit. Well, I think it's good to you know give us the the heads up uh, first. I mean, you know, and then give some idea of what we want to do. So for last year, sorry, we were basically we had almost 11% reserve at the end of this year. So the, am I reading it correctly? He says 5.76 over the, the, the requirement. So that means 10.76%. That's correct. And so next year, the projected it would be 8%. So we're kind of, seems like we're going in the opposite direction as far as the reserve. We went from, you know, seems like we're going... In the other direction. Well, but remember that includes setting aside the purster's reserve. So if you were to take that to the bottom line, it would be similar. It wouldn't be quite as much, but it would be, well, actually it would be a little bit more. So that's just above the line right now instead of below because I've set it in a reserve above the line. So. But she wants guidance to, she's going to budget tomorrow. She wants to know that she's carrying our message. So far, you've heard from Amy. Looks good. Looks good to me. I like setting the aside, but I also question maybe eliminating some of the retirement. Hold on the reserve. Hold the line. We need to fund that. That's millions and millions of dollars. Only 30. Okay. Thank you. Okay. On 12.2, Board of Trustees self-evaluation for 2019-2020. 
2015, 16, and 2017, 18 board goals. This item is placed on the agenda to allow continued discussion of the board's biennial self-evaluation and consideration of proposed board goals. For the next, is there any reason we can't do this in uh, in September? None that I can see. Uh, you know. The uh, timing for those of us whose aid, brains are aging is uh, on the downside. So, you know, if we're going to have any kind of productive discussion, I think we ought to move it to another meeting. Even those of us who are young and vibrant are getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm glad to hear that. I'm in, su I'm in support of that. I move to table it to the next meeting. Second on that. I will okay, then. Uh, I will support Mr. I believe the consensus is we table that till next week, or next month, I mean. Okay, all in favor of that? Aye. 12.3, newer revised board policies, second reading. This second reading is recommended adoption of the following new or revised board policies. I won't read them individually because they're in front of us all. So, is there a motion? I'll move approval. Second. Any question? Any further comments? No? All one shot. Yeah. Okay, all in favor say aye. 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 Okay. I just had a question about one of them. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's in the administrative regulations, but I was just wondering who is the point person at the college for public records requests? Who's the designated person? I, we can't. I can't hear you. I don't know about anybody else. They often come into me, but they come into me through um, Carol Lee's office or sometimes through HR, um, and I have to gather that information through um, the business office um, and sometimes through HR. Um, and sometimes through um, the president's office related to what the request is exactly. Um, but they are, I, I am aware of all of them. So in terms of point person, I'm made aware of them. So does it say, because it says the president will establish procedures, so does it specify in the administrative regulations who the the person is? It yeah, does? Okay. And does it say you or Lissa or... Remembering it a little differently than Lisa, but I'm sure she's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think in terms of so says, you know, says Lisa, or we don't know. As the public information <laughs> officer, I'm involved in all of them, but the depth of them, depending on what is being requested, relates to other staff. Because it, it you know, if it is, a, if it's a budgetary question, the VP of that area becomes involved. Right. No, I understand. I'm just wondering who if is it's the, an if it's an HR point person. Yeah, um, and so we'll get that to you. I mean, okay, obviously thank you. Can't you. answer the question definitively. Uh, the, right now. the important so thing the is that it's responded to, and it's responded to in the time that we have to respond to it. Um, but if the request is exceedingly large and it is physically impossible um, to do that, then that has to be addressed and communicated as well. Um, so uh, every effort is made. Uh, and I, as the public information officer, make sure that that happens. But I don't do it alone. Right. Thank you. Does that help? Yeah. 
Okay, <clears throat> 12.4 Board Policy Manual, Administrative Regs for Chapter 2, Board of Trustees. It is recommended that the Board of Trustees approve new and revised administrative regs. Related to Chapter 2, the Napa Valley College Board Policy Manual, listed below. Chapter 2, Board of Trustees, vacancies on the board, recording conflict of interest. Gabriel, a motion? A motion to approve. Question? I just wanted to talk about AR 2710. Conflict of interest. I don't think we have any. <laughs> well, I, I was just wondering, I didn't have a chance to look. I, I know Carolee sent us the templates for the administrative regulations, but I didn't have a chance to compare. And I just was wondering is, is this taken straight from the CCLC template or not? Because I had concern about some of the language being kind of vague. It's the template. It is a template? It is. Um, I was just wondering, for example, incompatible activities. It says board members and employees shall not engage in any employment or activity that is inconsistent with, incompatible with, or in conflict with the board members' duties. I just was wondering how that would be defined. Do you, do you know what I mean? I, obviously, legally, you can't work for the institution and be a board member. But I was just trying to think of what would be another example of a employment or activity that a board member that would be inconsistent with being a board member. I'm thinking it's vague because it'd be hard to come up with all the possibilities and list one by one in a volume. I guess I just I can't. Think I can't think of any besides working here. Right, but I think if a possibility comes up, someone can bring up the possibility and say, "I think that you have a conflict of interest here." And then if that person doesn't want to step down from voting on whether or not I recommend that person to not vote on it. But I think it's a situational thing. I guess I'm saying, I'm sure there's a legal definition. That's that's what I'm getting at. Like legally, obviously you can't work here. Um, you know, it just doesn't seem very legal. I guess that's what I'm saying. There's legal citations, but the language itself doesn't seem very legal because I'm sure it's defined under the law. That's what I'm trying to get at. If we were approving a contract and a relative was on it, that would be a conflict of interest. I mean, it would be discretionary, right? No, but this isn't talking about that. This is talking about actually being on the board. They or, or can't be board, on the board. If a board member put in a, a bid for the Menlo property... Five hundred thousand. There you go. That's that might a better be a conflict one. of interest. Yeah, I guess I understand conflict of interest. So I don't we, understand. We can yeah, a lot. Of I don't. Know, I'm talking about the employment piece, not the activity. I get that there can't be a financial incentive. Like you can't have a conflict in terms of your profiting from a decision on the board. I get that. I'm talking about employment. It, it says engage in any employment or, that's inconsistent with. And the only thing I could think of is if is working here. I can't think of any other employment that you couldn't have and still be on the board. That's what I'm trying to get at. What does that mean? Well, that's how I read it, being employed here at the district. That I could not apply for a job, and if I did, I'd have to leave the board. That's what I think, but that's, I guess I'm saying that's not what it says here. But if it's the CCLC language, I just thought it seems kind of vague. And before we get off this one, I actually had a comment about this that actually is related to the communications that we pulled off that we're not considering today, but there's some conflicting language uh, between the one we'll look at and this one. 
Um, in this one, it is uh, where it says that a board member shall not simultaneously hold two public offices that are incompatible, which the other revised policy that we'll look at next meeting um, says just straight out that you cannot hold two offices. Actually, um, I spoke on that particular issue last night with uh, Laura Shelton, and she said it's not true you can hold two elected positions as long as one of those elected positions doesn't have the power to override the decision made in your other elected position. Okay, but the language is still conflicting. The one in the board policy we right. will review next month, it's an absolute prohibition. Under, on the communications? Yes. Or on, yeah, well, that's why it's going back to Okay. <laughs> and actually, as far as employment, at the bottom, there it says no employment allowed. That's where it specifies that you can't be an employee of the district and also be on the board. So. <laughs> there is a motion in a second. Now, all in favor, proven them as submitted, signify by saying aye. Aye. Okay. Board reports. Viticulture and Winery Foundation report. Yes, we uh, didn't have a meeting. <laughs> Some of us um, did show up for our scheduled meeting, but we were unable to transact any business because we did not have a quorum. It was nice uh, to meet uh, Paul and Ron helped me with his last name. <laughs> no, I always turn to Terry to do the last name. Paul's last name. There we go. Paul Gotspaderzik. Thank you. I think we go with Paul. Yeah, Paul yes, G. is Paul. what he says. He said, just call me Paul G. from now on. So. Yeah, so it was, it was nice to, to get to meet him uh, and chat with him a little bit and the others who, who showed up and just just actually talk uh, in general and, and hear a little bit about what they were doing. Redevelopment Oversight Committee? Uh, the October meeting was canceled because the state still hasn't decided how they're going to, what they're going to allow the city to do with the one parking lot that's still in question to, um, to sell. So it's still alive. 13.1, Legislative Committee. We still haven't met yet. However, we do have a date scheduled. We're honing in on a date, right? Uh, it is September 4th. Yes, September 4th. And there will be many people there besides the, uh, the board members. Where is that meeting held? Where? Okay. Uh, Mr. DeGarty, where is the meeting actually held? Here. I think in that uh, room over there, whatever number that is. Oh, so just I one of the conference rooms? Yeah. Oh, in here? Um, actually, I was thinking we'd hold it in here unless you object. Oh, it is a public meeting, right? It's a public meeting. Sure, we have fine. quite a few staff who will be participating. Okay. Including Lisa. Sounds good. And Janine. Okay. Ad hoc committees, communications, Baldini Martinson. No, no reports. No reports. Okay, accreditation. Uh, no report. And then the communication among boards members. Well, the report is that we are 
that we had come up with needs to be revised. Uh, and as I've mentioned before, I've consulted with the attorney, and uh, we're going to hone down a simpler version that should meet the legal requirements, and we'll have a report at next month's meeting. Well, I'm assuming you that that's the reason that you uh, pulled it. I guess for me, I don't know about Kyle, but uh, uh, I'd like to to maybe have a meeting with the three of us so you could bring us up to speed. The, uh, uh, unless I don't understand it correctly, the template isn't the only way. Um, you know, we can certainly expand from a template policy. So, Right, uh, I think and that, that was one of the problems is too much expansion. We need to narrow it down to make it simpler. But I can explain to you what I've talked to Laura about and show, show you the template that we've got. Okay, that would be. I would appreciate that. Okay, we can get together and figure out a good time for the three of us. Trustee reports. Joanne, since you've had the floor, let's keep going. Uh, I you mentioned this to uh, to Ron that the League of Women Voters sent a invitation to uh, to meet with them. Uh, this week and apparently didn't get circulated. I happen to know the chair, um, the woman who's chair of the committee. It's uh, for those of us who you know might want to be involved in this. This is their interest in having college representatives. Is uh, uh, their mission this year is the undertaking of uh, developing a for the League of Women Voters to develop a position first locally, then state and nationally on higher education. They've already developed a statement last year on community colleges, which I haven't seen. Uh, but the governor has, uh, uh, you know, and the legislature is driving this. There's a report done last year called, you know, the Hoover Commission, uh, which addresses uh, uh, some of the issues they're particularly looking at the uh, UC and the, and the CSU uh, systems. But there's another document. Um, I'll, I'll forward the, con the uh, connection to, uh, uh, to Carol Lee. Or I'll, I'll send it to all of you. Hopefully it will come through that way with these two documents. But um, the, this is part of what's coming down nationally is this whole extension of accountability because this, the the report that the that the governor's ordered this commission to do to do further and uh, a group that's furthering the uh, California message is uh, uh, the accountability. How many are you graduating, and how many are, are you uh, making available? I mean, having certificate or skills enough to go out and get a job. And there's actually mention in, uh, in the one document uh, the uh, legislature would like to see everything, the UC system and, and the uh, state system collapsed into one, you know, one governing board. And I said, yeah, well, things can someday fly maybe. I mean, that, that seems very far-fetched, but there is... Uh, this is coming straight from the uh, legislature and the governor's office, so uh, something that uh, you know we all need to 
weigh on weigh in on as well. I mean, the uh, um, California having the cheapest tuition in any place in the United States is a um, you know is is a red flag in some ways. But anyway, they're just starting out, so we can be in on the ground floor uh, of this. Other than that. Um, Do they want us to respond, or how do we get involved with that? You show up at a at a one of their meetings. They have their they have a meeting coming up in September, so that's that would be the best way to to get involved. That's it. Thank you, uh, Amy. Um, let's see. Maybe Marianne can talk about the Hispanic Chamber event. I, I want to talk. Are you going to talk about that? No. Well. We, we, we represent the college. Rafael was there, Marianne, myself, uh, Maria Villa Gomez. Um, it was a great event. Um, what event? The Hispanic Chamber okay. of Commerce event. Um, so, yeah, we had a good time and some great speakers and great setting. And um, we, all, we danced quite a bit, so we had a good time as well, but mainly um, just really inspirational speakers and um, made some good connections there. Um, and then also just something that um, actually Bob Lortz, who works here at the college, and I didn't know, I guess he was a student here and actually was a student trustee, and he had brought this up to me. Did you know that? Yeah. And he brought this up to me a long time ago, and I, kind of, I, I never brought it to the board, and actually Trustee Baldini really made a point to do this at the last board meeting, and so I thought I would bring it up. He, he had the recommendation um, about you know the, the role of the student trustee and... Um, you know how it's a it's a nice touch to since their their vote is only advisory to have them vote first um, and then to vote all of us to vote afterwards. You know, not that we automatically take the student, um, you know, do the same thing, but just after the fact, it doesn't really it doesn't help since it doesn't count. So I just would like um, to us to consider using that as a regular practice. Um, and since, you know, students are what we're all about, I think it's, a, again, a nice touch. And it's the only way his vote really matters is if it comes first so that it can actually be advisory. So I just want to um, put that out there and hope we can consider making that a, a regular practice. That's it. Maybe we should ask our student trustee if he would like to vote first. should have an option there. Um, I wouldn't personally mind uh, because it gets documented either way. Uh, but... Michael did a good job of doing that when uh, the last meeting or the meeting he ran on July 9th, I believe. That was a nice touch, but it doesn't bother me either way. Well, I'm not nice. talking about bothering you. Do you feel like you have more of a voice if you if you uh, vote? For, I mean, for the most part, I'm voting along with the board. Um, I think if I had a, ever had a dissenting point, I'd make it a little bit more obvious than you know, just going nay. But um, I'm all up for being held accountable, so if that's what it takes, then I don't mind it. I think it would be nice, actually, yeah. So T, since you're on the mic, how about uh, your report? Too? My report. Yeah. All righty. I just kind of saw you sit up a little straighter, like, oh, wow, I'm always first. So I, I just thought it was, it was nice. So anyway. Thank you. Something to think about. Um, within the last month, um, I'm actually – certified to handle food now. Um, thank you, ASNBC, for that. 
Um, tomorrow morning, I'll be leaving to the student trustee workshop in Costa Mesa. Um, I have a plane to catch at 7 a.m., so I should probably go home and sleep a little. Um, other than that, um, oh, uh, I did meet with uh, Dr. Kraft uh, for my, orient- my actual orientation. And as part of that, he told me to identify some potential goals that I wanted to set for myself uh, to um, hold myself accountable to. And uh, I kind of came up with the one of my goals is to fully integrate ASMVC into the process of shared governance and participation at these board meetings, um, which is happening to a certain extent. But um, I think uh, I can recognize and a couple of other people around campus can recognize that um, for the most part, ASMVC's involvement in these board meetings is just, hey, come to our events, and they're going to be fun. And it's never really um, – we we don't have as much of a voice as the administrative or uh, – sorry, the uh, – yeah, all of the other factions do. Um, another goal is to – it's similar to that one, is to uh, move ASMVC past being a simple institution that promotes events and things around campus and making it one that ensures that we actually listen to students and we um, poll students on what they want to see in the college and relating to the master plan, relating to other things as well. Um, And there has been talk of potential student union or an updated student union, which would be nice. Um, and then the last goal would be to potentially rally our student population to support a bond measure if it is if it's found to have um, actually had a lot of student involvement, especially in the student union section, um, academic stuff like that. Um, other than that, um, I also painted my name tag, so that's always fun. Um, I think that's it. Uh, but thank you for the board for. Um, being able to send me on the student trustee workshop. Uh, I look forward to that tomorrow because I, uh, just judging from the name of the workshops, they look like they'll be very informative because I still feel a little bit out of the loop every now and then, but um, I think that'll definitely help. Thanks. Well, great. Have fun down there, too. And learn. Raphael. I'm sorry that Lissa is still here. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to attend this golf fun thing that's going on. Um, I will be out of town uh, that day. So I'm sorry I won't get to experience the new, the new format. <laughs> I was, huh? Well, I still will. Where, I, where I'm going to be, I'm going to be wearing a cool outfit. Um, the second thing is that this Saturday, the Mexican-American Vintners Association uh, is having the annual food and wine event just down the road at uh, Mi Sueño. I think I told you about this last month at our special meeting. There are still tickets available if you're interested. Saturday at 2, 2 to 5. This will be music, food, and wine, of course. That's it. Thank you. Michael. I'll be there at the uh, with a secret passcode. Outstanding uh, um, presentations by by all, particularly uh, from your boss, Oscar Martha. She did a wonderful job. And Terry, very nice. Uh, I got your introduction. And uh, Amanda, who's not here, wonderful uh, 
presentation and to lead it off, Dr. Kraft. So, good times. Thank you. Um, I don't really have much to report on. I had a couple things that I wanted to maybe explore. One of them was drawing uh, a blank. Prop 47 an option of maybe increasing our students. Some of the individuals, I don't know if you guys remember that, but it's lower level crimes that have been released back into uh, community. I'm wondering if it might be possible to see if there's a base here that we can serve some of these individuals that fall between the cracks. I've talked to uh, Chief Potter about it a little bit. Looking to too. Um, the other one was just the veteran center. And if we were able to find out if we could get some kind of answer. That was it. I don't have any. We had just talked generally about trying to maybe help them out a little bit, but I'm not sure. I thought they did already. But yeah. Yeah. We'll check. Oscar, do you have any knowledge? No. Okay. I'm not either. I'm sorry, but we'll check on it. Yeah. If it's actually, if it's done, is maybe that could be one of our places that we visit because I've never been to the Veterans Center. And um, also, Dr. Hawk mentioned that the VWT area has been spruced up now, so we can see that as well. That could work. I'm pretty loud, so most people don't need the mic. But um, Napa Youth Ecology Corps. I know that I've talked about that in here before, and I think everybody knows what it is. Uh, but there was a wonderful graduation, and it was very um, touching at some moments, you know, a little bit of a tear. And, uh, but there were seven, were there seven? Seven graduates, I think. And uh, they they worked primarily on that. I took some notes that day. The Napa and St. Helena Flood Control Project.